This week's episode of the Jones Report is presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. We want to be your partner. OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com for the best financial planning around with O'Connor Advisory Group's own Brian O'Connor. You can reach out to Bo at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Harold Coach of Fox 4 in Kansas City. We'll get Harold's insights on the Chiefs-Dolphins game coming up on Saturday night. And that awful weather situation will hear everything you need to know about this matchup. Also, about the rest of the NFL playoffs, a little Big 12 hoops action as well when Harold joins us coming up later on in the show. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group with uh, our reaction to the news on Nick Saban as well as Pete Carroll. We'll also dive into uh, Michigan's National Championship and uh, look at this weekend's NFL playoff action. We'll have our Big 12 breakdown coming up in a bit, as well as our Tom Fulgeray story of the week at the end of today's show. Joining me as always, Thomas Bridges is here with me. I got to hit this right off the top, Tom. Just what a crazy 24-hour stretch we had from Wednesday to Thursday morning of Pete Carroll being forced out in Seattle, Nick Saban retiring, and then Bill Belichick being forced out in New England. I'm not surprised by any of the three moves, but the timing of it all just happening, bang, 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 and the the changes, just monumental changes. You know, we're, we're talking about three of the best coaches in the game, three of the best coaches of our lifetimes, you know, our, our, our childhood, right? Just like that gone uh, a big changing of the guard both in the nfl and in college football what was kind of your thoughts of what happened in that 24-hour stretch tom i mean yeah you know there was a shift when I, there was a shift about i don't know 15 years ago it even felt like when like brett Favre retired brian Erlach retired you know those those right yeah ray lewis ed reed um you know, Jason Taylor, Troy Palomaro, uh, Devon Donovan McNabb, you know, those type of players retired that I was thinking, damn, you know, like childhood's done. If it wasn't done then, it's definitely done now. Yeah. Yeah. And a sense of freedom of sorts, too, Tom. Like these guys, you know, the, the, Pete Carroll was, uh, if, if you weren't a Seahawks fan, especially if you rooted on the NFC West, you're like, man, the, the Seahawks were just tough. Every time you faced Pete Carroll, like, was a problem. E- even in a down year, they, they were still competitive, right? And you look at Nick Saban in Alabama and the six national titles he won. And we talked about for years in college football that, man, if – if Nick Saban could just leave Alabama, this sport would be competitive and, uh, you know, we'd have parity again. And then there was Belichick and what he did with the dynasty that stretched over two decades. Obviously, things weren't the same after Tom Brady left and went to Tampa Bay, but it was still Bill Belichick, still 
tough to play against him and game plan for. I mean, like if if you're a fan of an opposing team, Tom, of those of all three of those coaches, I think the common theme is that you're probably glad they're gone. But I don't have anything but respect for any of those three coaches. Like you can love them, hate them, whatever you whatever you think, but nothing but respect. I mean, these were three legends of the game that all made uh, an impact. It, it, it was a challenge every time you faced them. Yeah, if you're a Miami or a Buffalo or a New York Jets fan, uh, then you're probably happier than than most people today. Uh, you know, Nick Saban, you know, OSU as an Oklahoma State fan, never had to face really Nick Saban, or maybe they did back in the day, and they I know they won. Or they before Alabama became Alabama as we know them. Uh, so I, don't, I mean, the last it just time got old. The last time OSU played Alabama was the first game, or was the last game before Nick Saban took over. There you go. And you know, I was kind of lo- like low key hoping that he would stick out his contract to twenty twenty eight because that's when Oklahoma State has to go to Tuscaloosa and see Nick Saban in his element. Would have been a cool thing. It's like when I got to see Brady, uh, and I thought that was the last – I thought the Rams had ended him, and they did not. But I did get to see Brady's last playoff – or not even last playoff game, I guess. But um, did get to see my team beat him, and I was hoping that I got would get the same privilege with Oklahoma State. But uh, it's probably for the best that he's not there uh, in 2028. Who knows what will happen. That's, all, uh, that's four years away. So – um, that being said, you know, Pete Carroll, you know, the Rams always found a way to get a, get a, at least one win. And so I don't have, but I have nothing but respect from Pete Carroll. You watch that, that press conference and you can tell how much he loved the team, loved the franchise, loved the people, loved the players. Um, there was another, I'm trying to think who it was. Oh, it was, um, it was, uh, Oh, what's his name? Graham. Tied in. What's Jimmy his Graham. first name? Jimmy Graham said that he had, you know, went to the hospital for something. Uh, he got, you know, knocked out of the game, went to the hospital, and it was late at night. And when he got released or when he got let go, it was Pete Carroll and Pete's wife waiting for him uh, when he got out. And, you know, I thought that said a lot about Pete Carroll and, uh, there's been other players to come and, and post tweets and different memoirs of Pete Carroll that I've gotten to read that that makes me think that, you know, Pete Carroll was more than just a um, a meth jaw chewing gum. Um, you know, seems like he was a great, great coach. And, you know, one play call, he could have been a multi-Super Bowl championship winning coach, but still won one and still, you know, was in charge of a team that had a one of those all-time defenses. I mean, if your defense gets a, a name, then, you know, Hall of Fame immediately anyway. I mean, you have the Steel Curtain. Then you have the Legion of Boom. Uh, you have the Purple People Eaters. Uh, I mean, there's they're up there with that. Um, you know, Russell Wilson in those days, uh, in, in – in his limelight in Seattle. I mean, there's so many good memories for Seattle, even though to be, to be fair as a Rams fan, I fucking hate Seattle Seahawks. I hate them. (laughs) Uh, I don't, I don't hate them as much as the Niners. Uh, 
but damn, did I hate them back in the day. I hated them when they had Sean Alexander. Uh, I, you, Tim Hasselback was never a Matt. guy that was that good. Oh, Matt. Sorry. See, I can't even remember his name. He wasn't that good. That's his brother, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were both trash. Um, <laughs> but you know, you had Sean Alexander. I don't think I don't think Pete was ever coaching the team. Maybe that was Mike Holmgren team that had Jerry Rice on it. Yeah, that was Holmgren. Yeah. Okay, and Hasselback was Holmgren, I think. Yeah, he was. Who was Pete's first quarterback? Uh, Charlie Whitehurst. Oh God. And then Matt Flynn uh, to Russell Wilson yep. for Gino. Yeah. Look at the look at the Matt the Matt Flynn thing. Look at the that's how it crosses lines. Now the only best thing that could have happened is Matt Flynn if he would have played for Alabama, but he I don't think he did. He played for who I don't I can't remember who Matt Flynn played for, but LSU. Oh wow! See, well, man, I'm, at LSU. Yeah. I'm I'm taking you to trivia night. Um, but. You know, Matt Flynn was Matt Flynn was a Patriot under Belichick, and then moved obviously cross country. So, um, but a lot of parallels, I think, in not only age but just the type of person they are, and like how they like to coach. And I, I think yeah. All Belichick three coaches, doesn't seventy-two years old, very similar coaching styles. Um, you know, and. and just a, a big change, you know, and and now what they do next is going to be fascinating to me, Tom, because it's all different circumstances, right? Pete Carroll, in his situation, he had a team that underperformed. That was the talent was better than what their record indicated at nine and eight. He gets pushed out the door, but he feels like he's a very energetic seventy-two years old. He didn't want to give up. He didn't want to give up that job. And has said he still wants to stay around. The Seahawks said they want to keep in an advisor role, but um, maybe there's a, another job down the line for Pete Carroll, whether it's uh, in the league. I don't think there's another NFL job out there, but maybe it's the college level, back to college, uh, potentially for him. You look at Nick Saban. Saban, I mean, he wasn't as good as what he was a couple years ago, but I still like Nick Saban now better than any of these potential coaching candidates out there like you never want to be the guy that has to follow the the legend and of all these names that are being thrown out there for that Alabama job like Dan Lanning already said no now you're looking at you know Kalen DeBoer Mike Norvell James Franklin Steve Sarkeesian Lane Kiffin I don't think any of those guys are better right now than what Nick Saban was not saying that they weren't going to win that they were going to win a national championship again with Nick Saban, but they sure had a better shot than any of these candidates that are out there that are being mentioned. So, so Saban, I didn't I didn't hear this. So Dan Lenning did say no. I heard that he was in T Tuscaloosa last night. Uh, that was not true. That was fake news. Oh, uh, got me. But he publicly said he's not going anywhere. That. Uh, he went on the McAfee show, Pat McAfee show. There, there's been a few storylines coming out of the Pat McAfee show the last couple of weeks. Uh, he said on McAfee that he had no intentions of le leaving Oregon. He tripled down, said he's staying there. He's not going. And they did ask him, they said, what about the NFL down the line in 10 plus years from now? And he said that he would leave that door open, that he's a Kansas City guy that, 
Uh, you know, he's a big Chiefs fan. He said, I hope Andy Reid coaches the Chiefs as long as he wants to, but that would be an interesting job, is what he said. So oh, wow. Maybe Dan Lanning's gonna come home and be the next Chiefs head coach after Andy Reid or something. Where's he from? Is he from KC? Yeah, he's from he's from uh he's from Liberty, Missouri. Yeah. And oh, I didn't know that. He played at uh William and Jewel College, which is a D two school there in uh in North KC. So yeah. Um, that was interesting to hear. And then you got Belichick and here's Bill Belichick who the last few years did not go well. And I look at Belichick, Tom, and it's interesting with him that I still think Belichick is a good coach, but what bit his ass is Belichick is not a good GM and Belichick made some bad personnel decisions and, and how they tried to rebuild that thing after Brady, like they, they, they stumbled a bit. And I think Belichick could still compete at a high level if you hire a GM to do the GM duties and let Belichick be the coach. Think about Andy Reid, for example. Andy Reid in Philly, the end of that didn't go well when Andy was GM and head coach. He goes to Kansas City and gets hired as head coach, but they don't let him be GM. And they got and they've won two Super Bowls, and he's had Patrick Mahomes and everything. No, not everybody has a Brett Veach either. Well, and he didn't have Brett Veach at first either. I guess uh, that's fair. Yeah, you know. Uh, so, with that said, like if you know, there's teams out there. They've said the Atlanta Falcons are interested, uh, the LA Chargers, some of these other teams. Tom, like I, I look at it, if Belichick is willing to be your head coach, and you get the GM you want and don't give all personnel decisions over to Belichick, Belichick might still be able to work and still be competitive here. Like that could be, if I'm a team owner, that's something I'm interested in. I'm not giving him full controls, but I, I could be interested in him still being my head coach. Now, what if you're, look at all these teams that obviously don't like Belichick from the history. If you're a Raiders fan, are you not very conflicted right now? Yeah. I mean, with all the history with Belichick, the Raiders, Brady, the 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 tuck rule, are you not a little just like, you know what? Yeah, I would love to have him, but ah. Oh. And you already got Brady as a part-time owner there with the Raiders. So I mean, the Raiders would be fun. I just don't think he would want the limelight of Vegas or like the limelight of Hollywood being in LA. Atlanta you know, feels talk- right. Like they're trying to make a splash. Arthur Blank, uh, I think Blank's one of the wor- one of the worst owners in the league. Um, but I mean this- they would have Herbert, who's a good, I think still a good quarterback. He just needs the right people there. That's the Chargers. Um, said the Falcons. Oh, okay. I thought you said LA make a splash. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. No, I, I said, you said L.A., and I was like, okay, well, Herbert, no, I guess. Let's not but get off track. Let's just stay on course. Back to Falcons. Falcons, Falcons yeah. Falcons, I don't think he's like, going to go. You look I don't at think Arthur he's going to go Commanders. No, it's not going to be the Commanders. You go to Atlanta, a team that's trying to make a splash. Ownership isn't great there, but that's a team that, you know, has some young pieces. Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson. They need a quarterback. Um, go get your OC and go get your quarterback 
and Belichick might have something to work with there. Okay, I can see that. And, you know, we've already mentioned the Birds team and the Falcons. Here's an interesting thing. I've seen some rumors on this. Tell me what you think. The Eagles obviously have not have, – have really shit the bed in the past two months. Yeah. Have, have absolutely shit the sheet, pissed the sheets, shit the bed. Um, I mean, not looking good. If Baker Mayfield was to come out and pop a couple zins in and drop the Eagles out of the playoffs this weekend, there's been rumors about maybe Sirianni's not the guy. Let's fire him. What if they let go of Sirianni, Belichick, and Philly? You know, it could be a possibility. Um, I think it would be nuts if they fire Sirianni, even if they lose this weekend, a year removed from going to the Super Bowl. I think Sirianni's a good coach. Um, but we know what Philly likes to do, building the super teams and making splashes and, and, and being they don't, overreactive. They don't keep their coaches long either. I mean, right. Andy Reed, Chip Kelly, Doug Peterson. Um, and you know, now already talking about moving on from Sirianni, like they, they move quick around there. But Bel- Belichick, it, it, there's an interesting idea to another team in that division as well. Tom, um, the Dallas Cowboys, Belichick and Jerry Jones are very good friends and have a great relationship. Um, I think one of the two things, maybe both, I think the Eagles or the Cowboys, one of the two is going to lose this weekend, maybe both. And all of a sudden pressure is going to be on to be like, you know what? Let's, let's go get Belichick. I mean, yeah. I mean, Belichick and Dallas would be nuts. I mean, that would be – I mean, they would obviously, you know, that would – because I think if if Dallas was to lose and they didn't go get somebody like Belichick, they're in a very weird – Dallas, if they don't capitalize or at least make the NFC Championship, they're in a very weird spot where it's like we've tried everything. Dak's a great quarterback. When do we try something else? Do we just keep – shooting our load at the wall and you know nothing's sticking it seems like for Dallas be fair I did pick Dallas and the Bills in the Super Bowl at the beginning of the season that is still on the table um I would though to be fair I would rather see Dallas lose in the first round of the playoffs than have my pick be right so if you want to know who I'm rooting for this weekend Who's more likely right now to get axed? Do you think it's Sirianni or McCarthy? I kind of lean towards Sirianni right now. I mean, just because the Eagles have been dog shit the past month and a half. Yeah. I mean, and and it doesn't, that locker room seems very unstable. I think the Bucs have a better chance to beat the Eagles than the Packers do the Cowboys. I mean, yeah, the Packers are a little shaky. um, And Dallas hasn't lost at home all year. Uh, Eagles cannot say the same thing. Eagles have been Eagles have lost the road. Yeah, I mean, Eagles are just they're they're falling apart at the seam. They're I mean, they're like a they're like a freaking goodwill donation t shirt coming you know coming apart. Huh. You know they're like a they're no better than a Walmart t shirt right now. Yeah, you know, you know, my dad does with those t-shirts. He cuts them up, uses them as wash rags, or uh, to wipe the wipe the oil on when the t-shirt starts coming apart. And if the Eagles wore a t-shirt, my dad would already cut them up. Oh man, 
It's uh, it's going to be an interesting time for sure. Let's uh, let's talk about these wild card games this weekend. We'll uh, kind of go rapid fire game by game here. Browns Texans coming up on Saturday. Tom, C.J. Stroud, the rookie, Joe Flacco, the journeyman veteran. Uh, both these teams playing very good football right now. The Texan, Texans are at home here. Um, I, I'm leaning towards Houston, but I, I really could see this going either way. I wonder, Tom, is the stage too big for C.J. Stroud as a rookie and does that play to Joe Flacco's advantage that he's been there, done this before? He has. Or if you want to get more conspiracy theory, does the script have Joe Flacco returning to Baltimore? That would be the most likely, old team. That'd be the most likely scenario if they pull this off. I mean, that would be. I. I have. I'll tell you this. I am rooting for the Texans. My sister's boyfriend is a big Texans fan. I got him a Stroud jersey for Christmas. Shout out Braylon. Um, yep, shout out Braylon. I don't know if he I went to high school. Or not. Yeah, great guy. Yep, and he is a diehard Texans fan. And I don't like the Browns in general, um, just because it's a trash poverty franchise. Always has been. Always will be. <laughs> but I'm not going to be surprised. My, this is Miles Garrett's first playoff game. Um, no, he, he, they lost to the Steelers a couple years ago. Uh, or was at, he, no, they beat the Steelers with Baker as their starter. Yeah, maybe. Okay. I, I thought I read somewhere it was his first playoff game, but maybe he was injured or something that game. He, yeah, he might've been. I thought I read somewhere where this is maybe the first one he gets a play in. Okay. Either way, either way, you mentioned the Joe Flacco thing who has more experience that defense is so tough. Uh, we saw C.J. Stroud play out of his mind against the Colts. He had that final drive that was that was uh, you know like looked like Penix Jr. against Texas. Uh, I mean, played out of his mind, made some incredible throws off his back foot, has incredible arm strength. I think that Browns defense might prove to be too tough. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be a great game. It will be. Dolphins take on the Chiefs. It's going to be in the negatives, temperature-wise, snow. Um, it, it is going to be nasty in Kansas City. And you you can't even pay people to go to this game. Like, tickets right now are as low as $53 to deal wow. with this weather. It is going to be just brutally cold and temperatures and all that. It's just going to be disgusting. Um, Tom... This is the, the two things here. One being the Chiefs. Are they going to finally turn it up come playoff time? That has been the defense of this team all season has been, hey, they don't look good right now, but they know when to turn it on. They know when to turn it on the postseason. Now it's put up or shut up time. Can they finally flip that switch uh, and get it done at home? We've seen Patrick Mahomes play really well in the past in cold weather and these playoff games and these snow games, he's looked really great. Can they turn it on now? And then the other side for Miami, here's a team that you know plays in the warmest climate in the entire <laughs> league. They got a quarterback from Hawaii, and they are all built on their speed in their passing game. That doesn't sound like a great recipe to win in these conditions. Tom, I, I lean towards Kansas City here. 
Um, but I'm not overly confident because uh, both these teams, I, I don't think, have met the expectations. The, the The Dolphins have been fraudulent all year. They haven't beaten anybody that that is worth anything, and, and the Chiefs have underperformed all season. They're not who we thought they were. Yeah, the Dolphins have kind of uh... – They've pitter-pattered out a little bit, and and you sounded like Chris Collinsworth there. Here's the team. Um, but Tyreek Hill. Here's a guy. Here's a guy. Here's a guy. <laughs> yeah. Are they on? Who's on the call for that game? Um, that is going to be. Uh, oh, it's uh, Tariko and Jason Garrett. Okay. Oh, really, Jason Garrett. I know. I think Tariko and Chris Collinsworth are on the call for the Rams game, but yeah, yeah, Tariko's got to work back to back nights. We'll see if they can get him out of Kansas City, get him to, on that plane to Detroit. Yeah, that'll be interesting. That's a that's a yeah, that's something else. It makes maybe have to make that drive. That'd be horrible. If, if um, Tariko can't fly, I am willing and able NBC to call the Lions Rams game uh, for you Sunday night. I, I, I'll find a way. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Jones, you you mentioned the Chiefs. They know how to turn it on uh, when it matters. I think that does play a factor. Mahomes is, you know, obviously used to playing at home in the playoffs. is pretty damn good. Um, the Dolphins, I don't think, you know, you mentioned their, their speed and they like to throw over the top and – We'll say they have two great running backs. Uh, they have A-Chain and they have Mostart. I don't know his health. Mostert. I don't know what he'll – you say he is out? Yeah. Okay, so still have the rookie who's had a great season outside of his er- injuries early on in the season. Yeah. But A-Chain, you know, A-Chain. A-Chain, A-Chain, you know. For, uh, like uh, that – what's that that conspiracy site, 4-Chan? Yeah, A-Chan. Yeah. Um, but you know, Kansas city's, I, in my opinion, is getting a little bit of a break with it being this cold. You, you bring in a team, here's the team that plays in the warmest climate, uh, not used to the weather. I mean, I think, you know, like this is, this is for Kansas city there. I think they're getting a little bit of a break here. They're, they're essentially the AFC Lambeau field South. Um, when it comes to the playoffs in this time, it's going to be balls cold. You mentioned not a whole lot of people are going to be there. Uh, it's, it's a night game. Um, it's, it, I'm, I'm not too as like a, he's like a Python snake down in the Everglades down there in Miami. Uh, he's not going to, I don't think he's going to perform well when it's, when it's negative temp or zero or even 10 degrees. Um, tire kill could be used to it. A little bit, but I, I think the whole body of work between the two teams, I think the Chiefs are going to come out on top. I think this could be a, a slugfest, not a shootout, a slugfest, maybe something like 20 to 17. I like the under in this game, uh, 44. For sure. Steelers and Bills, that game in Buffalo Sunday afternoon. Tom, um, I think I think this one's real simple. I know the Steelers have played really good football as of late. They got momentum and everything. Uh, Mason Rudolph's looked good. The run game has been really good for Pittsburgh, and we all we all known that they've had a great defense all season. But the Bills, 
are as hot as anybody in the AFC. Josh Allen's looking good. Everybody's coming along. I think there's too much talent. Not just the fact the Bills are at home, but they they outmatch the Steelers. Like this is a lot of it comes down to matchups, right? This is a tough draw for Pittsburgh. I I I, I think the Bills are really just going to have to stand in their own way here. I, I don't see any way the Steelers win this football game. Yeah, this is this is I would say this is a game I have the second most confidence in picking. Um, and I think the Steelers have Mike Tomlin is a he is somewhat of a wizard, I think. I think he's 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 getting close to wizard status. He really is. Cause I don't know how the I don't know how he ends up figuring it out every year. I really don't. Um I will be rooting for the Steelers because of Jalen Warren and Mason Rudolph being Oklahoma State. But I I just I can root for them all I want, but I don't think that's gonna be enough. Packers and Cowboys. We mentioned the Cowboys with the best home record in the league. Jordan Love making his first career playoff start. Tom, when we make fun of the Cowboys and go, how about them Cowboys and all their playoff losses, right? The wild card round's not been the issue. They win wild card round games. I think we'll have that discussion next week in the divisional round when they potentially play a team like Detroit or the Rams or whatever it may be. The, the Packers... Credit, they have been better than everybody thought. No one thought they were going to win nine games this year and make the playoffs, even halfway through the year. It wasn't on the radar this would be a playoff team. Jordan Love's going to get a contract extension. He's, they they made the right call. They found their quarterback. Um, he looks the part. But the Cowboys are a complete football team. Dak looks good. They're at home. Um, that, that's just – I think it's going to be nearly impossible. It, it would be – it would be one of the biggest surprises to me if the Cowboys find a way to blow this game because there's there's just no reason no reason they shouldn't be able to pull this off. Oh, I mean, you're absolutely right. And and you know, I mentioned the previous game we just talked about, Bill Steelers. That was my second most confident pick. This would be my most confident pick. The Dallas should. However, I did talk to some just Dallas fans this week. I mean, I know you're around a lot of Dallas fans. I'm around a lot of Dallas fans here in San Antonio. Um, most of the coworkers I have are Cowboys fans, and we were talking this week, actually yesterday, and one of the guys came over and was talking. He was like, you know what would happen? He's like, I, I can't get my hopes up. The most Dallas thing to happen would be to lose to the Packers in the first round. <laughs> he said that would be the most Dallas Cowboy thing to ever happen. He's like, so I'm not going to get my hopes up. And I had to agree with him. It would be such a Dallas Cowboy thing to do to go out there and shit the bed against Jordan Love and the Packers. I mean, Tom, like, think about this. Really the beginning of this run for Green Bay when they started to turn around, Thanksgiving, nobody gave them a shot against Detroit. And they went in there and they kicked that ass. And Jordan Love played his balls off. Like, it's going to be that type – it's going to have to take that type of performance. Yeah, and then probably some. Yeah. Yeah. I I'd think. be very shocked. I, I think I think we're both in agreement that this convo will end up moving to next week and see if Dallas can get out of the divisional round. Rams and Lions coming up on Sunday night from Detroit. Matt Stafford making his return to Detroit to take on Jared Goff and company. 
and what an atmosphere this is going to be there in Detroit for their first home playoff game in, you know, 20 plus years. First time they've won the division. Um, They're going to be without Sam LaPorta, it sounds like, and that could make things difficult. The Rams potentially without Tyler Higby as well, so that might actually kind of cancel each other out here. Tom, I'll, I'll say what's interesting. I lean towards Detroit here, but I don't think it can be said enough. All the pressure here is on Detroit. It's them hosting Stafford. It's them with the first home playoff game and the division title and everything. The Rams, they're back in the postseason after a down year last year, winning the Super Bowl the year prior. Stafford and McVay and Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup, they've already been there, done that before. I think this is a very unique position that L.A. is coming in with nothing to lose and all the pressure on Detroit here. Oh, absolutely. I think it is. And, and you know, they were they were a lot of teams' dark horse Super Bowl pick at the beginning of this year, and there was a lot of pressure. You know, I can remember the first the, – the, the show right before the first week of the season, we said, all right, well, you know, we we heard all this talk about Detroit. They they go to Kansas City, play in Kansas City. You know, right out of the gate, here's time to either you know nut you know nut up or shut up. And what do they do? They went into Kansas City, won the thing. You know, I know Kansas City hasn't had uh, the best year, but they're still in the playoffs and still host the playoff game. Um, they're what they're in the same spot that Detroit's in on the opposite side. Right. So, you know, I think the pressure is on Detroit a little bit. And, and the Rams, meanwhile, the first part of the season, I thought, oh, shit. You know, as a Rams fan, I was like, pack it in. Let's tank for Caleb Williams. You know, a lot of a lot of Rams fans are saying, all right, shut her down. We're done. Uh, then you get the incoming, uh, and thank God, the, the second coming of Cooper Cup in Puka Nakua. Cooper Cup gets healthy. Uh, you know, Kyron Williams, his third year out of Notre Dame, also a fifth-round pick, ends up coming onto the scene and, and carrying that workload at running back after the Rams got past the Cam Akers debacle. And the first half of the season and the second half of the season look completely different. Uh, and this Rams team, you said it a couple weeks ago, it's kind of like the Buffalo Bills right now. They're playing they're, – they're real hot. Yes, yes. And – We've mentioned it before. I'll say it again. The NFC is wide open. These two teams very well could win the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. I mean, this is a huge game. I'm excited. I lean towards Detroit, but uh, you can't count out that that Rams team with that position they're in, playing with nothing to lose. It's going to be awesome to see. Monday I will night- obviously take the Rams. Yeah, yeah. Monday night, <laughs> Eagles-Bucks. Um, kind of like when we talk about the pressure thing here. The Eagles do not look good right now. They got blitzed by the awful New York Giants and Terod Taylor last week. Um, They're struggling. Sirianni might be coaching for his job. Jalen Hurts doesn't look good right now. He doesn't look healthy. Um, The defense sucks, which none of us saw that coming this year. Um, They got a lot of issues they're working through. The Bucs aren't great. Baker's up and down. Um, you know, nine and eight record division title. They overachieved this year, but it's not like that they've played 
great football either. Tom, um, this is a total trap game for Philly here. Like, um, if Philly plays their B or B-plus game, that's probably not good enough to win. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, and um, you know, talk about the Eagles. We talked about them earlier and said they've they've really pissed and shit the bed here lately. Um, did you see the picture of Baker Mayfield with the can of Zins in his pocket? I know you're a big Zin guy. Oh, he's definitely a, a six milligram guy. Do you think so? He's got it. He's a, you know, and then you got, I, I think, I, I think one of the most underrated wide receiver talents in the league that does not get talked about enough is Mike Evans. Yeah. I, when he goes off, he goes off and Baker's been playing well as of lately. You know, I think you could honestly say, and and I think I think this is I think that's my upset pick this week. If unless you call the Rams an upset in Detroit, which I don't think is much of an upset, I I think the expectations for Philadelphia are greater than that of Detroit in you know terms of coming back from the Super Bowl and and in the first half of the season they had. Uh, I would say Buccaneers over Eagles this weekend is my upset pick. I got the Bucks over the Eagles, too. And it's hard to beat a team twice. And the Eagles beat Tampa earlier in the year. Tampa's going to be hungry. And, you know, Tom, it's our, our OU friends, I'm sure, are going to be loving, you know, getting this matchup of Jalen versus Baker in a playoff game. But there's something about Baker here with, you know, a one game, give it all you got, the Bucs aren't going anywhere. They can't win the NFC. One game just to kind of screw everything up and take the Eagles out. Like, Baker's a dangerous man, I feel, in this type of situation. Yeah, and I think they're playing I – mean, I wouldn't say maybe nothing to lose, but Baker, Baker always just kind of has that chip on his shoulder anyway. Right. So, I, I mean, and he knows he's facing Jalen Hurts and, you know – you know, he's not wanting to be like, oh, friendly, you know, friendly, friendly, bro, bro, after the game. But you know, I would almost say it would almost even mean more to him to beat Jalen Hurts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he wants to go in there. It's like if, if Baker plays Kyler Murray, he wants to beat the shit out of Kyler Murray. It'll be friendly, friendly, bro, bro, after the game. But when the game starts, it's like, all right, fuck you and your whole family. I'm coming and whooping your ass. That's just the type of that's just the type of player Baker is, and it much to my dismay when he was at OU, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. They're gonna plant the pirate flag in the middle of Philly, and then they'll have to have a police escort out of the out of the city. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting. More to come. Uh, still got a Big Twelve breakdown ahead. Uh, Bo's gonna be here. We'll have our top Fullery story of the week. All that stuff. Uh, coming up, but uh, let's go ahead and get to this week's Big 12 Breakdown. It's the Big 12 Breakdown. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges here with you with a comprehensive look around the Big 12. We talk Big 12 football and basketball, and uh, we begin each and every week with our hot takes. And uh, Tom, I'll, I'll start with you. Where do you want to go uh, this week? You know, I was almost right. Last week we had talked about, I, I'd said that TCU was going to come to the fog and beat KU, and I was only a couple days off of when KU would get upset by UCF, 
TCU, though, did give KU a run in the fog, only lost by two. Look, um, at the end of that game, too. I mean, what a, you know, a very close game. I don't know where I want to go. You know, I'm going to double down on KU losing. Oh, God. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't even know if this is that hot of a take, really. You know, is it, you know, TCU beat OU on Wednesday night. We're looking at big Saturday here. Um, looking at the games, there's obviously one that really sticks out, and that's OU comes to the fog and drops KU for two in a row. Yeah, somebody's going to end up losing two in a row with OU and KU each coming off losses on Wednesday. Um, that's going to be a heck of a game. Yeah, yeah, it will be. Two top ten teams, both at 13-2. and two. And I feel better about that than saying KU has to come to Gallagher Iba, and I don't have that much faith in OU or in Oklahoma State to to be saying all that. So this is safer. I was not born the last time Oklahoma won in Lawrence. That's insane. Yeah, I believe it was ninety four was the last time. Um, I was I was a very wee young lad then. Yeah. Yeah, it's it has been uh, quite a bit. Uh, we'll have I got more I want to talk about on uh, on those Jayhawks here in, in just a bit. My uh, my hot take this week, um, as we continue to learn about these teams in the league, and you know Kansas getting a loss, and uh, we mentioned Oklahoma losing to TCU. I, I, I'm starting to kind of sell Houston. Um. Yeah. Maybe the Big Twelve is not as good as we thought, or people are just taking their lumps. One of the two things. But Tom, I warned everybody out there for you know several weeks on this program that they had a soft cupcake schedule in the non-con, and they were undefeated coming into conference play. They lose to Iowa State in their first ever Big Twelve road game. Uh, they're in Ames, and we know Ames is a tough place to play. I don't think Iowa State's a bad team, but I I think Houston, they're I think at the end of the day, they still got a shot to be a Final Four team, but they're they're gonna take their lumps. I think there's more lumps coming for Houston that they're going to suffer because they were not prepared accordingly for this league, uh, with what they went through in that soft ass non con. I believe it. I mean, look at this. So, you know, you you go to this Saturday, go to Fort Worth and play a TCU team that just about beat KU. TCU just beat OU. I think TCU will win that game. Then you go play, you know, a couple days later, you, you get Tech at home, who Tech has been looking pretty solid. And then the next Saturday – you get UCF who just beat KU. Right. Um, and who has sporting a 10 and four record. And, the, you know, even crazier if you want to go further. I mean, their whole schedule, look, this whole month, UCF just beat KU. Now, you do have them at home. I'd probably say Houston ended up winning that. You got BYU in Provo, who is, you know, yeah, pretty solid. That's a tournament team. Um, and they've been playing okay. 
and okay, and then you get Kansas State at home. K State playing some great ball, and then you go to then you go you know three hours away to Austin, and you got to play at the Moody Center against Texas. Um, you know we'll see what Houston's how you know, you know we'll see what they got in them. But um, Jones, you weren't wrong. There is a there is a path here where I think the rest of their slate for January they got six games. If they went two and four, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that. I, I very well could see that. Uh, we'll it could be a, a big welcome to the Big Twelve moment. Yeah, it it could be. Looking at the uh, the Big Twelve slate of games this week, uh, Iowa State takes on Oklahoma State at home. I think Iowa State should be fine. That Kansas, yeah. <laughs> that Kansas Oklahoma game. Tom said he likes OU to go into Lawrence and get that done. How about the the Hunter Dickinson knee injury that we're still we're still waiting on some more uh, information, undisclosed knee injury, um, and you know it it was discovered in uh, in that game against uh, UCF. There, Bill Self said that uh, he called it a bad knee. Said he wasn't one hundred percent. A guy of that size and who this offense runs through, that's uh, a little bit concerning, Tom. May- and maybe he plays through it, but who knows if he'll actually be 100% the uh, the rest of the year if this lingers on here. Like th- that's, that is that is a, a big red flag, a big man with a, with a knee injury here. Yeah, that's, that's concerning, especially since the whole, you know, non-con they – They'd kind of relied on him as their I don't know, I mean you watch more than I do, but it seems like maybe one of their centerpieces. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, no question. McCullers played really good lately, but they need Dickinson out there for certain. Um, BYU plays UCF. BYU uh found their way into the top twenty uh at 18th. UCF coming off that uh that big win against KU. Um now it's interesting for UCF. This is when you start to adjust the conference play, playing in the Big 12 top of that the no days off mantra that we talk about all the time. UCF, you just beat Kansas, big deal. Now you got to turn around and play a big a, a good BYU team. Like that that's a that's a quick turnaround there. I mean, yeah, it could be, you know, we we'd say it every year, but it's you know, they just you know end up getting beat up. I mean, everybody ends up brutalizing. It's it's a very this is a very Hannibal Lecter league. Everybody eats everybody. Um, Texas Tech will host K State this week, and Texas Tech had a really good showing in Austin last week, beating the uh, the Longhorns on the road there. And you take on a K State team that's twelve and three. We mentioned Tech at thirteen and two. This is a good measuring stick. Uh, both these teams playing better than what they were expected to. McCaslin, first-year head coach, has done a good job. Obviously, there was a lot of controversy around this K-State team, uh, Jerome Tang squad, several weeks ago here. Now, th- this is the type of game we we start to separate the pretenders from the from the contenders here, Tom. I mean, yeah, every year this, this gets to the point where it's like, all right, who – you know, if if you had to guess the winner of the Big Twelve, how many losses are you are you predicting? 
In league play, probably four. I would I would agree. I was going to say three or four. Yeah, and you know you very well might have a tie. You know the top standings and you know split champion again uh, potentially. Uh, Houston and TCU. We talked about that. That Houston's got their their work cut out for them going to Fort Worth and what should be a very interesting game. Texas should have no issues with West Virginia. That's a great way to get a uh, a bounce back win. Um, West Virginia had five wins. Uh, we mentioned we, we we've talked a lot about the Bob Huggins controversy and all that, and just the way things have gone. This hasn't gone their year. If you're Ren Baker, that AD of West Virginia, you're already starting to pick up the phone and and figure out who your next head coach is going to be because uh, the, the, this just isn't going the direction they wanted to. Like this league looks pretty good from top to almost the entire bottom. About there's about thirteen. Well, Oklahoma State, I guess, isn't that great. There's about I would say you know of this uh, fourteen team league about twelve. Pretty solid teams, and then West Virginia and Oklahoma State are clearly below that. Yeah, I mean, West Virginia and Oklahoma State in this league would be like the Bartlesville Bruins moving back up to 6A1 and playing Owasso and Bixby and Jinx and Union again. Yeah. Uh, That's uh, what this is like. We need, we as an OSU fan, we need to move to 6A2. Yeah. Um, your Bartlesville Bruins, though, you got that K State commit. You might, you might. Hold no, up. no, he left. He left. Oh, he's uh, gone. He's, yeah, he's playing. He's playing uh, in the town of the Shockers. He's playing for some Wichita high school basketball. Literally, like a high school created just for basketball. Oh, he abandoned you. That's brutal. No, nah, I mean, hey, go, go, ball out, young blood. Like, <laughs> you know, if but the other, you know, I wish he was going to OSU, but he. He is playing for K State. I don't know. Well, he's playing for K State, but the high school he's playing for is like um Is it like Summit Christian? It might be Summit Christian's uh Sunrise Christian. Sunrise Christian, yeah, that's where I know uh, I had a sun in it. Yeah. That's where uh Buddy Heald and uh Perry Ellis went. Well, there you go. That's the you know, that's the next you know I, I think he's legend. I think so, probably. And, you know, the rich only get richer at K-State because Jerome Tang has obviously got his guy for next year. And um, from what I understand, uh, he's – I don't know if he'll be a one-and-done or not, but I could see him playing two years and then going to the league. Um, be interesting how his senior year at, at uh, you know, Sunrise Dunkin' Donuts goes. Sunrise Dunkin' Donuts. You know, um, get you a coffee and come on down and dribble a basketball and get you a donut at Sunrise Christian. I don't know where that came from, but sure. Um, Baylor-Cincinnati, I think it would be a very good game uh, on a Saturday. Um, Cincinnati, sneaky good at 12-3. and three. Baylor got their brand-new arena. That place is going to be rocking. That should be a fun game uh, on Saturday there. So, there's uh, kind of a look at the uh, Big 12 basketball side of things. Uh, a couple football notes that I want to reach on of uh, some players that announced that they were uh, making their returns and, and coming back. 
starting with the Texas Longhorns, Quinn Ewers coming back to Texas, made that news official. It was expected. Uh, Arch Manning sounds like it's still staying around uh, there in Austin for now. We'll we'll see uh, see, uh, how this ultimately plays out. I don't think Sark's leaving for Bama. Uh, I don't think he's getting, he's going to take that job because right now Texas is a better job than Bama is. Um, Texas got more resources and more NIL to get to more they can work with than Bama does at the moment. I don't see Sark leaving, but Tom, this, this makes her some strange bedfellows of sorts. Like Quinn comes back and Arch comes back and Sark expected to be back, but I don't think there's going to be a very long leash on Quinn Ewers. If, if he doesn't play well, or if they feel like he's holding them back, or if he gets hurt again, which he's gotten hurt the last couple of years, I don't think they're going to hesitate on giving Arch a chance to, to try to take over and see what he can do with this offense here. Like, Arch is going to be on his heels, ready to go, and and push Quinn, I think, to the limit. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, we mentioned this before it was official that Quinn came back. You even said it. You said – you know, if you're Quinn, maybe you think about somewhere else because his leash is going to be so short. Uh, you know, I mean, Arch Manning, what a good sport to, to one, stay and not cause any controversy. Right. Um, you know, you don't really find that in today's college football landscape. I mean, he could have said, fuck this, I'm out. Um, and I think Texas at that point probably would have tried to push Quinn out, but um, you know, Quinn's a good quarterback still. He could have went, he could have went to Ohio state or he could have went somewhere and, and held turned around and, and made the playoffs somewhere else. I mean, he's that great of a quarterback and he could have done that, but you mentioned it. He's going to have a short leash because although Arch Manning was, I mean, arguably very professional about this whole ordeal and waiting on his turn, he's going to be still chomping at the bit to get on the field. Right. Yeah, and you know the draft was certainly an option for Quinn as well. I mean, I, I think best case scenario could have been a second round pick, probably would have been a third or fourth. Uh, but he still got some unfinished business, not just about getting Texas to compete for a national title next year, but raise his own stock to be a first round pick. It's a crowded quarterback class this year, and uh, pushing that off another year, I think, is probably the right call for him when it comes to his draft stock there. Devin Neal announces he's coming back to Lawrence. No surprise uh, for his senior season there with the uh, Kansas Jayhawks. We already knew about Jaden Daniels uh, coming back there. And uh, yeah, Devin Neal to the fold here. And with as good a talent that offense is, with what Lance Leipold has done there in Lawrence, this uh, this Kansas team is a, a force to be reckoned with. If, if, if Daniels is fully healthy, if he's good to go and – and all that. I mean, that this this on paper looks like the best offense in the Big Twelve next year, Tom. I mean, yeah, we'll see. You know, I'd be interested to see how good the line holds up, and and you know, really, if if Jalen Daniels can stay healthy, that is that is going to be the biggest factor. Um, there is no Jason Bean to save you this season. You do have the Colts GM son. Uh, uh, Cole Ballard, who, who was actually very good, former walk-on. He wasn't too bad. He could come in and play Gardner Minshew for the season when Jalen Daniels hurts his back again. But um, I'm kidding. I don't know ever wish injury on anybody. But I think that's 
KU's biggest question mark uh, is keeping him healthy, keeping him upright. Uh, be interesting to see how much he runs this season. Um, I think I think that's KU's main key factor to success. If if Jalen Daniels goes down or is not healthy, um, that decides a lot of what your season's going to end up looking like. Yeah, and then uh, there was reports also as far as the stadium situation that because the renovation isn't going as they expected it to, kind of behind schedule of sorts, sounds like that uh, of Kansas's home games that uh, they're going to play at a reduced capacity. David Booth, Kansas Memorial Stadium, about less than 20,000, uh, but then have two home games played at Arrowhead likely the Iowa State game and the Colorado game, those two games at Arrowhead. Uh, Tom, weird circumstances, but, you know, we we knew it was possible with the stadium renovation and all that going on. Um, you know, could be a cool stage for some of these guys to play at Arrowhead, get to play in an NFL environment and all that. I do wonder, like, Iowa State – that's just that's not terribly far from them. They're used to making trips to Kansas City for basketball. You play that game at Arrowhead, that actually might turn into a home game for Iowa State. Uh, as fun as that sounds, it doesn't sound fun to turn that into a road game. Yeah, that almost sounds like a neutral site game. And uh, not to mention the stadium's already laced out in Iowa State colors. Yeah, red and yellow. You know, you know, not to take a shot at KU, but they'll have a little fun. It's too bad they didn't do the stadium renovation a couple of years ago where 20,000 fans would have been a good crowd. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, you, you got a great point. Uh, real quick, uh, on the uh, on Saban leaving, we, we talked about it at the top of the show, but uh, some Big 12 names that – I, I think are just long shots, Tom, at this point, uh, that that have been mentioned, Sark and, and Dion. Um, I said it earlier, I don't think Sark would leave Texas. I think he's got a better situation at Texas than he would going back to Alabama. Dion, you know, is it's not his time yet. You know, we with the way things fell apart with uh, how they look down the stretch. Not to mention, I think there's when, whenever Dion does leave Colorado, it's going to be an interesting situation where he's going to have to go somewhere that wants him to be the face of the program, essentially bigger than the program. Even with Nick Saban, nobody at Alabama is bigger than the cursive A, right? Now, right. Texas, Texas A&M, for example, or – I don't know, you know, like maybe Auburn, something like that. Okay, Dion can be bigger than the program. He can carry that. But I, I don't see his style, him being bigger than the program, being the face of it, would work at, at Bama besides all the other stuff of how things went down the stretch and you know, just a disappointing finish of the year and everything here. I, I would be shocked if either one of these guys ends up at Alabama despite being mentioned here for this job. Yeah, I mean, Dion would be cool, and I think, you know, you see a lot of these transfer portal players flocking to uh, Colorado, even if they're, you know, even if they're not so good. I mean, OSU just had a player go to Alabama or to Colorado. Um, 
And, you know, he's fun, you know, fun to play for, fun to be around. You know, he's got the Riz, you know. He's got he's definitely got the Riz, but he wouldn't work at an Alabama, I don't think. I mean, I think I think he would bring I think he would especially now, if it if it happened he just left Colorado and went there, he could he could keep a lot of the recruits that might leave because for those of you listening that don't know, the transfer portal just opened for thirty days for those Alabama players to leave after your coach retires. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if there's an exodus of players from Alabama or not. Uh, I, th- I think there will be some that will end up leaving, and I think one, uh, I think one player that committed that's pretty high ranked just decommitted. Um, so it'd be interesting to see that. I don't know who they would get, but you're absolutely right. There's nobody bigger than the curse of a. I think if if Dion was to leave, I could see him, and it. I don't know, like. You make a good point. He would have to go somewhere like an Auburn or somewhere where it would be okay for him to be the face of the program. I could see somewhere like even like UCLA. I don't think that Dion will leave until his sons are through Colorado, though. Right. And yeah. it, it might take him that long to build something up where he can just go wherever he wants. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, one more final note before we uh, wrap up the Big 12 breakdown this week, Tom. Um, Neil Brown is uh, disputing the claim by Chief Stat in Travis Kelsey that he was dumped with fake mayonnaise at the Duke's Mayo Bowl after beating North Carolina. Says it was very real Duke's mayonnaise that was dumped on him. Uh, do you buy that? Um, well, what's like fake mayonnaise? Like, it's not mayonnaise, it's just like a what they dump dump on him like uh like white like is it is it marshmallow cream like what you know what else would they have dumped on him like white slime um so uh Kelsey is uh I'm I'm looking at this video right now he says that it's it's not real that it was it was a uh, too thin to be mayonnaise that it wasn't thick enough. I mean, so what are they saying? They dumped ranch on him? Um, I don't know exactly. But, yeah, that's the conspiracy out there put up by Travis Kelsey that was not real mayonnaise. I mean, why? Did, why? I mean, so Travis Kelsey just was watching this and was like, oh, that's not real and decided to say something about it? Yes, he said it on his podcast, yes. And Neil Brown felt it was so... Neil Brown it sounded took like he was Twitter. offended... Yes, Neil Brown took to Twitter to confirm did did say that it was real mayonnaise. See, now I would have to come out. Was it what kind of what was it? Because it's Duke's Mayo Bowl, right? It was Duke's Duke mayonnaise. Yes, I've never seen Duke mayonnaise in real life. I've had Duke's mayonnaise. It's it's got a little tang to it of sorts. I think all mayonnaise is absolutely disgusting. So you're saying Duke's is more like Miracle Whip? Um. Not like a Hellman's. Yeah, it, it's more like a like a miracle whip. It it, it is like it is thick. Um, T I C C, um, thick, disgusting. So, but Kelsey uh, doesn't think it was real. Neil Brown uh, took the time to to say that he believes that that it was very real mayonnaise. So, we'll see. Uh, more to come. Stick around. 
right here on the Jones Report. Join us now on the program this week, please, to welcome in from Fox 4 in Kansas City, where it is a little cold there ahead of uh, Saturday night's playoff game between the Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. It is none other than Harold Kuntz is back on the program once again. Harold, uh, welcome back. As always, good to see you, my friend. Uh, you uh, you staying warm? Uh, yeah, that's why you stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> you try to go outside as least as possible, but Saturday we're not going to be able to prevent going outside. So we'll we'll see how that works out. You know, uh, I I I remember this was several years ago, uh, folks, when uh, when Harold and I covered a Kansas basketball game where it was snowing near the middle of the game, and uh, I didn't have an ice scraper, and Harold did me a solid, and I scraped off my car for me so I could get home. So, uh, Harold, uh, I know that you're you always come prepared in these situations. Always got to come prepared. Uh, I mean, I keep looking at that's why I keep looking at my left. I'm like, oh man, I hope it doesn't get worse. But yeah, <laughs> so yeah, uh, no, was so far so good. This uh, this matchup, Chiefs and uh, Dolphins. Uh, what stands out to you about these uh, these two teams uh, meeting up again? Well, they're both different. Miami's banged up defensively. They've got a mash unit, a defensive line, a lot of names that Chiefs fans will be familiar with. Emmanuel Agba, Justin Houston, uh, Melvin Ingram, all used to play for the Chiefs at one point. So they'll be on the defensive line with all the injuries they've had. But offensively, they look full go. And that's going to be the big matchup. How do Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and Raheem Mostert and Devin Achan, how do they match up against that Chiefs secondary with Legarius Sneed, who for my money is the most underappreciated cornerback in the league, no Pro Bowl, no All-Pro from the players. Um, he's he's going to say humble about it because he conducts his business that way. But, you know, he's a guy that's been no touchdowns allowed. Always had the feature guy every week. So he's just one that's that matchup with him and Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill had, of course, 60-something yards in the game at Germany. So we'll see how that matchup plays this time around, see what Mike McDaniel can do offensively. But that's one big thing I'm looking at. The other thing I'm looking at, along with, of course, the uh, the offensive line, how much they might be able to dominate the Dolphins' offensive line of that game, which leads to the run game. I think this is a big Isaiah Pacheco game, especially with the weather. Now, Matt Nagy told me that it's an old – yes, that is correct. It's an old adage to run the football, but you got to throw to win. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. I think – believe this is a game where you're handing the ball to Pacheco and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and giving them 15 carries <laughs> and winning that game 14 nothing, conducting your business and getting the heck out of there. But um, Matt Nagy's going to try to throw the ball. And I think this is a game where Travis Kelsey, with the rest he had last week, he's reinvigorated and he'll be able to do something in this game against the Miami Dolphins defense that really just doesn't have many options going forward on the defensive end. So, of course, the biggest storyline is weather. Um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, it's going to be in the negative wind chills. We know that for sure. Um, but both teams have to play in it. It's just the Miami Dolphins historically as a franchise have not played well in games under 40 degrees. They've lost their last 10. Tua Tungavailoa has not played a game uh, in under 20 degrees in his life. So, and Tyler, as you know, there's a big difference between 40 degrees and 20 degrees. There's a big difference between 20 degrees and negative degrees. So, if it's negative five with the potential of being a kickoff, the coldest game in Arrowhead Stadium history, I just don't see how the Dolphins come out of here with a win with all those advantages uh, playing toward the, the Chiefs. I mean, 
even a referee teaches at Texas Tech. Come on. Like, we, <laughs> so, it's all set up for the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, even you look at the Chiefs, The you mentioned the Dolphins not ever playing in these type of situations, this, this type of conditions. Patrick Mahomes and company, they have done a really good job, historically speaking, when it comes to playing in cold weather, playing in the snow and all that. That's when we've seen some of Patrick Mahomes' best performances over the years. Well, Patrick always said he was a snow game guy, right? And yes. he said that plenty of times before, but he lost the last one they played in the snow when they played at Denver this year, and Denver kind of smacked him in the face. So the blueprint is out there uh, for teams that want to kind of take from the Oak Cup. Vegas Raiders, the Denver Broncos, teams that, you know, beat them up pretty good in their uh, in, in one in Arrowhead Stadium and then one in Denver. So the blueprint's out there. Now – do the teams have the horses to, you know, put that blueprint out there? Now, you have a Dolphins team that has a guy like Jalen Ramsey, but we've seen Jalen Ramsey match up with some of the top Chiefs players before, and it doesn't work out well. Of course, this time around, you don't have to worry about a Chiefs top weapon because everyone knows it's Travis Kelsey, and the Rasheed Rice, the rookie's emergence, has come along really well over 900 yards receiving this season. So he's wide receiver number one of this team along with Travis Kelsey. However far they go or however far defenses allow them to go, is how it's going to happen. So that's just going to be a big key to this one. What kind of response uh, do you expect Tyreek Hill to get from uh, the Arrowhead uh, fans there in his first game back? Well, Travis Kelsey says he should be loved and appreciated uh, until he throws up the peace sign. And then in that case, he may not, he may get some booze. But, I mean, Tyreek Hill, he's done a lot around the Kansas City community. He was involved with his family foundation. He did a lot of camps. He was always – he coached at least some at North locally. He helped our kids there. So I think we'll have a few fans in attendance, even though I'm sure a lot of fans will want to boo him uh, just because of what he said, all the offseason talk he's had and how he's mostly about going into Arrowhead and he's going to come out with a win. He's going to put it on him. So, I mean – but that's Tyreek Hill. We know he's a talker. He likes talking. We know it's in jest. Uh, he's competitive, and that's really what it comes down to. He's a competitor. He's always been a competitor. And he's having wonderful seasons in Miami, 1,700 yards. I mean, he's the number one receiver. He was voted the team MVP for Miami. I mean, he's played. It Honestly, it's paid off for him to move to Miami, get paid, get his stacks, and then go out there and perform too. But he's a little hobbled right now. You know, any injury you're nursing or little, any little nick you have, with the cold weather, it's just going to feel a lot worse. So it's going to be very fascinating to see how um, – he performs on the field, but yeah, there's going to be a mix of booze and there's going to be some cheers, I'm sure. So it's just general, but this is the first time you've seen a guy of this stature that's, that in my money is, is Hall of Fame worthy uh, coming back to Arrowhead Stadium in a different jersey. And, you know, they didn't get the opportunity in Germany and now they get the opportunity now because, you know, the NFL plans these things in advance, right, Tyler? Yes, yes. <laughs> Great planning in their part. Yeah, they made a lot yes. of sense to play that game in Germany. Um the Chiefs receiver has been the story all season for this team of how much they've struggled and all the drops and just the inconsistency in the receiving game here. Um, I think what people have talked about with the Chiefs all season was, hey, when it comes playoff team, this this team knows how to turn it on at the right time, that they can flip a switch of some sorts. I mean, kept dropping passes, I don't think it's – fixed by a switch of some sort. So, like, what, what, what's your thoughts on kind of this group and and that problem heading into the playoffs? Can that be solved? 
No, it can't be. They are who they are at this point. Um, it may not be exposed now because they're playing a really an inferior opponent in Miami this weekend, but no, that can't be solved. I mean, what you can't solve is this team was ninth in total offense this season. The last three years, they were third, first, and third in total offense in the NFL. Their scoring offense is down. Um, the only thing that's improved really as a unit is the defense. And Travis Kelsey in Friday's press availability even admitted he was going to Charles and Minihue, the standout defensive lineman for the Chiefs, and admitted, yeah, we're just going to grind games out now. It's just things are not going to be pretty. It's a different NFL. And, yeah, that it has not come easy for them. And they've admitted that man-to-man. Uh, MVS has, has been very uh, slow compared to his uh, performance uh, the last year he was here, or the first year he was here. He's dropped off immensely. Um, there was no Juju Smith-Schuster, but, of course, they they um, picked up um, – they got enough time for a guy like Rasheed Rice's emergence. But you look at the weapons there. Kadarius Tony is questionable. Um, he has been a liability. You could argue he's lost them two games simply by two plays. You look at Justin Ross, the guy that was had a lot of hype in the offseason. It's not really come to fruition, plus he's suspended in the middle of the year. Um, you look at a guy like, uh, well, heck, you look at a guy like Travis Kelsey. I mean, yes, he's the second best tight end in the league statistically, but even he'll admit he's dropped off a little bit and he's getting banged up and banged around. He's getting double teamed. He's getting triple teamed even. It's making it tough for somebody else to come along. The, the opening is there for somebody to come along. Sky Moore's another one. He's on IR now, but when he wasn't on IR, he had the opportunity. He wasn't there. So there's just been opportunities and they're just, just not working so far from a receiver standpoint. Um, so that's why I like them leaning on the run game. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco is a guy who was a couple 60 yards short of a uh, thousand yards uh, this season. I think you got to lean on him because this is a team that's now going to run the ball. They're going to run to set up the pass and they're going to give guys simpler routes, simplify the offense and just go. Well, quarterbacks coach David Girardi was one of those guys that said, you got to just, we got to line up. We got to go fast. We got to go what we know and just go. There's no time for confusion. That's what they got to know. Now, that can't play the defense's advantage, advantage simply because they know that, all right, well, they're going to simplify things. That makes it simple for us. You know, slap the old zone back there, man up on Travis and do some things. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, their talent has just has not been there. And it's something they need to address in the offseason. And that offseason could be next week. It could be – uh, two weeks from now, depending upon how, wh- where they have to go and who they have to play. So that's going to be a very difficult thing to uh, digest for the Chiefs right now is the fact that they need they need a couple – they need to address skill position uh, this year, something that they did with receivers and Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, but one's turned out good. The other one just hasn't developed the way they want it. So they something they got to address in the offseason. But what you got is what you got now. And yeah. what they got now is something that they're just going to have to deal with and hopefully get them in the right places uh, if they can get there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're joined by Harold Coons uh, here on the program this week. Uh, Harold, uh, from a national perspective, this seems like, you know, all so much attention this season on, on this Chiefs team with whole, this whole Taylor Swift stuff and all that going on and, and, and how annoying and overblown that's been. Does does it feel the same way on, on the ground or even more so? Like, has this gotten way out of control from that level or is it kind of – uh, being out blown out of proportion to the national levels that kind of feel the same way where you're at uh, of where it feels elsewhere. I think everybody's gotten used to Taylor Swift being around now. I'm sometimes I'm shocked. I'd be shocked if she's not at the game now. So 
I mean, everybody sees her. She's there. She's part of the quote unquote Chiefs kingdom now. She's wearing her vintage Chiefs sweaters or jackets. Uh, she's looking fashionable while doing it. She knows. And, and good for her. And I'm happy for Travis. I'm happy for Taylor that they're having a wonderful, seems like a wonderful relationship right now. They seem to be helping each other. So, and it, I think everything that anybody says about how she's been a distraction for the team, I think that's complete BS. Um, this team's had distractions before. Like last I checked, a lot of those guys were in commercials before uh, Travis was even with Taylor. So uh, it's not affecting the team, no one bit. It, it, only thing it's affecting is fans that just want to relish in victory more if something goes wrong with him. So uh, that now is, is kind of past. We know she's there. Right. Congratulations. So it, it, the focus is on the field. But, yes, if you're talking about jersey sales going up, if you're talking about going to New England in a game that was genuinely worthless but had 4,000 Taylor Swift fans just to see her on the Jumbotron go up, great. God bless you. That's been fun. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, we know she's there. People can move on now, you know, uh, get on with their lives as far as that goes. Uh when you get past Miami here and you look at what's ahead, you know, I, I see a Ravens team that's playing really good football. The Bills starting to get hot over the last few weeks here. Where do you think this Chiefs team ranks uh, among those teams in the AFC? Can they compete with the likes of Baltimore and Buffalo right now? They can absolutely compete. Uh, they just have to get out of their own way. They can't have the penalties on their offensive tackles. They can't have the turnovers, of which at one point they were, I mean, top five in the league. I think they're now the sixth or seventh now. But the turnover differential is not there. It's one of the highest, it's one of the lowest in the league. Um, as much as much as they're turning the ball over, they do not force turnovers back. As great as the Chiefs' defense has played, the one thing they're lagging in is simply turnovers. They just don't get those. Uh, now, maybe the postseason's where that turns around. Who knows? But for right now, they're just not getting them. So uh, penalties and turnovers and then special teams, Harrison Bucker's been outstanding. Uh, Tommy Townsend's been pretty good. Their return game has not been good. So what do we talk about in postseason, though, Tyler? We talk about penalties. We talk about turnovers. We talk about special teams. Those are the things you can't predict that one, that turn results in uh, postseason play. And they're not good at them. So, <laughs> so uh, they're not good at them with the expression of Bucker. Bucker's been fantastic. He should have been a pro bowler. He's only missed two field goals all year. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a unique situation where they don't do the things they normally should be doing well. It, it speaks of a non-disciplined team. So I think they're exactly where they should be. They are the three seed for a reason. Um, and if they have to go to Buffalo or Baltimore, they're capable of winning, but they have to do something they haven't really proven for whole 60 minutes they can be, which is be a consistent team that doesn't turn the ball over and doesn't get penalized a lot. So that's going to be very interesting going forward. But, again, the, the, their focus is on Miami this week. Well, and, and you mentioned that forcing turnovers being an issue defensively. I look at those two teams, Baltimore and Buffalo, and, you know, in, in, in all four losses that the Ravens had this year, including that Steelers game where they didn't play their starters, they lost the turnover battle. Uh, we've talked a lot about Josh Allen and and his interceptions issues throughout the season the last couple of years. Uh, you get past Miami this week that that you got to hone in on that uh, against either one of those teams. Yeah, um, it, it, it's just again you are what you are uh, right. when it comes to the end of the season. You know, if you're turning the ball over a lot, you're turning the ball over a lot. I mean, let's not forget, they say they had got a lot of momentum for that Cincinnati game. Well, they faced the Cincinnati defense that was ranked 31st in the league in total yards given up. And they had to settle for six field goals because they're not finishing. 
They're not finishing they get drives. They backup quarterback too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not finishing drives. Um. So, it's again, you you are what you are at this point. But the postseason things can change. If this team makes the Super Bowl, I would consider it a magical run just because of the road they'd have to face going at Buffalo. And we know postseason Buffalo is going to be insanity. Uh, yeah. Postseason Baltimore, if they face that, would be crazy. Although I, I would not overlook Cleveland if we're looking at the grand scope of the AFC race. I think Joe Flacco might have something to prove there. And you can imagine the storyline of him going to Baltimore and getting a win if they were to beat Houston. So uh, it's a lot to play for. But again, you have to show that you're consistent and eventually you are what you are. Um, you know, those mistakes just get exposed in the playoffs uh, in a big way because, you know, you're, you're in a national streamed audience on Peacock. Yes, yes. Uh, everybody can't wait. Uh, waiting all day for Peacock, yes. Um, Harold, uh, looking at the NFL playoff picture as a whole, who, uh, who stands out to you? Who do you think ultimately uh, ends up in Vegas here? I think it's hard to go against the one seeds, uh, San Francisco and Baltimore. I know it's chalky, but um, I would look out for Cleveland, and I would definitely look out for the Los Angeles Rams. And I say that because they have Super Bowl pedigrees. With Joe Flacco, that's one of the Super Bowl, and Matt Stafford. Wiley veterans, they aren't going to be afraid of going on the road. Um, they got good talent there on both teams. Cleveland has a nasty defense that's ranked first in scoring defense. You got the Rams with two great receivers and Puka Nakua and crew leading the dance there. So, I mean, they've got, they've got some dudes there and they got some guys who know how to win. So I would not overlook those teams. I think the Rams lions game for my money is the best game this weekend uh, coming up. That's a good one. Uh, you got the obvious storyline of Stafford going back to Detroit, but I think you got the Detroit team that's just genuinely pissed. And they never hosted a home game in that building. So I think that's going to be an electric football game. Uh, the worst game for my money is Eagles bucks. Um, I don't think any team is capable of scoring 20 points in that game, let alone 17. Uh, right now, those offenses are in complete flux, and they're awful right now. Both of those teams are playing awful football right now. Uh, I don't know why it's a Monday night game. I think the executives got that wrong. They should have put that on Peacock uh, so nobody could watch it. So, But it's uh, it's going to be interesting how that all, all works out. But and That game's yeah, going to be on in prime time at Oklahoma, Harold. It could be. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm happy for them. I'm, I'm happy that the Oklahoma fans get to see Jalen Hurts and Baker Mayfield. I'm sure it'll be the biggest ratings in OKC and the Tulsa markets. So I'm, I'm in Lawton, too. I'm, I'm very happy too, for yeah. them. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for all the Sooner fans that they get to see a historic battle between OU, two OU quarterbacks and see them perform. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 going to be a. I think it's pretty chalky. I mean, you you are what you got. Dallas should handle Green Bay at home. They should. Um, Buffalo should handle Pittsburgh, and then you set up what I for my money the best weekend in football when you have matchups of the Chiefs at Buffalo, and then you have matchups of. Uh, I mean, I, I I I'm taking the Bucks. That's just me, but whatever. Um, but then you have a matchup when you take the Bucks at San Francisco and then you got the Eagles and Cowboys, which could be entertaining because it always is. But the Cowboys at home are a beast of their own. And then you have Dallas at San Francisco. So every kid who grew up in the 90s is like back home again. And then, um, I mean, I feel like the smart money says Buffalo at home, but the pressure is on Buffalo if they play that game. The pressure is squarely on Buffalo. This is – Josh Allen and, and Buffalo and their coaching staff have to know that it's on them now. I mean, they would have a 
seven-game win streak going into that game if they were to do it. But you know Josh Allen's turnover prone. And I think that's just going to be a wild game where a crazy result and crazy things are going to happen. And, I mean, I don't know if 13 seconds will happen again, but that's going to go down to the wire. And um, I, I would, if Cleveland wins, beat, beats Houston, I would not be surprised if Cleveland goes to Baltimore and wins that game. Yeah. I would not be I would not be surprised. And I'm not just saying that because the AFC Championship would be at the Arrowhead Invitational. I just genuinely believe Cleveland, when you play a divisional game, you do not fear your opponent. And Cleveland's got a great defense. They know they know Baltimore well. They know Lamar Jackson well. And Lamar Jackson has to perform in the postseason. He has to perform. And we have not seen that yet. Um, so he, he, it's on him. It's it's absolutely on him this year, and so, yeah. and again, uh, the Chiefs are in a unique situation where there's no pressure on them. No one's right. going to be mad at them for not winning the Super Bowl this year. They just know they need to address things uh, talent wise and come back next year. Nobody's going to be mad at them if they lose the Super Bowl. So right. I think the pressure squarely on the opponent when you have the defending Super Bowl champion visit your house and everything set up for you. You just got to go take it. Um, so I would not be surprised who out of the AFC comes. But I'd be very surprised if it's not San Francisco out of the NFC. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so with you leaning towards Baltimore and San Fran, that that tells me, Harold, you subscribe to the logo theory. <laughs> I, well, it could go both ways. I mean, what happened if the Vikings made the playoffs? Then it would have been Cheese Vikings. I mean, who knows? Oh. So I I, I know it. Or, it, or the box. We don't we don't, have, we don't <laughs> have enough time to listen to Aaron Rodgers, put it that way. We don't we don't have enough time to listen to Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, got a little bit of time left, so I want to ask you the uh, the Big Twelve hoop side of things. Uh, what happened to my Jayhawks against UCF the other night? I, I, I'll, I'll I'll be honest, like they did get by TCU on Saturday, sure, but uh, losing UCF on the road, like what, what what the hell was that about? Well, you know they say life in the Big Twelve, right? But yeah. th- this was not the life in the Big Twelve they were thinking. A UCF team that was preseason predicted to be last, hosting their first ever Big Twelve game and their second ever win over a top ten top five team in the entire school's history. Um, things you don't expect to be with the associated with the University of Kansas basketball program. I, I think a lot of things happened in that game that um, were not to be expected. 16 point loss gone. Hunter Dickinson, uh, for my money, getting a little outplayed in the post uh, by a guy who developed a left hand just magically in a game uh, in Diallo. And then you have a zone. Uh, that was the key thing. It was a zone. And I'm surprised some teams haven't really done that before. Um, but when a team like UCF that knows they're outmatched knows, well, let's just take our chances. They'll miss three pointers. And what has Kansas not done yet? Truly develop a three point shooter. Nick Timberlake is a guy that got from Townsend. Uh, he's not consistent enough for the three point line to give you that threat to break out of the zone. Uh, you got Hunter Dickinson chucking up three pointers, which, you know, is, is a decent shot, but it's not what they prefer. Because uh, teams were like, well, we're just doubling him in the post and he's still winning battles. Well, forget that. Um, let's make him shoot threes. Keep him in the pe- keep him in the perimeter. And then when he does go down low, just we'll stick our seven-foot guy there and take our chances. Uh, so they took their chance and they won with it. Now, that's not going to happen every time, but we've seen this with Bill Stelf teams before. They have their early season loss. They make some adjustments, and then they'll go through a little stretch in the Big 12 where it's like, what the heck? And then they make some adjustments some more. And I want to see DeWan Harris shoot the ball more. Yeah. I want to see this man shoot the basketball more. He's got a good shot. He proved it against Kentucky. He's proved it over his years. You got to be aggressive now. 
you got to shoot because that zone's coming. I mean, yeah. they, the 3-2 zone, 1-2-2 two, two zone, 2-3 two, I mean, that zone's coming, and you got to shoot out of it. So these the, the, the Marco Jacksons of the world, the Timberlakes of the world, the Dewan Harris's of the world, uh, They, I mean, we know Kevin McCullough can shoot threes. We know he can. We, and we know Hunter Dickinson can shoot threes. But the other guys, they got to step up and shoot some ball. Just shoot some Jays because you can't you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. At one point, you had KJ Adams shooting perimeter shots. He's not a perimeter guy. You no. got the trees down low, but you got to have to. You got to shoot the ball. It's it's so set up for a high low, right? It's so set up for a high low kickout, what have you. Like, do it, but make that's, the shots. That's going to be open shots. Bread and butter offense too is, is yeah. the high low. So yeah, it's yeah. going to be open shots Hit and then. The shots. Then this weekend, uh, Oklahoma and Kansas, both teams coming off a loss, uh, playing on the very marquee Big 12 now on ESPN Plus Network. You know, get out the Roku remote if you're in Kansas this weekend between that and Peacock. Um, really good game here in, in Kansas, historically speaking. They, they don't lose to OU uh, in Lawrence, and I uh, expect uh, that to be the uh, the same here uh, as, they, as OU comes to Lawrence for the final time. OU Kansas is on ESPN Plus. I think K State Texas Tech is on plus two. ESPN two. Some people are in hell. Some people are in real hell this weekend, Tyler. Real technological streaming hell. They're they're in it. And of course, these are the olds we're talking about. Um, of which I am, you know, I'm pretty much there. I mean, I'm I'm a year away from being 40, so it's like might as well be there. But um it's 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 what it is, you know. That's that's where we are. But this is the matchup, um, Oklahoma played them very close last year. They've played them close now with Fieldhouse historically. Um, it's a shame that the game's you know early and nobody's really going to care about the KC market because you know we got the Chiefs to worry about. But um, yeah, Oklahoma's looked dicey in their first couple games. I mean, they get, they they got a good one at home against Iowa State. Who Iowa State showed how good they are because they beat Houston at home. Um, but then, um, you know, you go on the road to TCU and I mean, the way TCU played against KU, they should have defended home, home court. Um, and they did so against Oklahoma, good one for them. But I mean, I watched Oklahoma play North Carolina. They looked outmatched. Um, so, I mean, I know Oklahoma's got the benefit, the benefit of getting some decent wins early in the year. Um, tournament team, NCAA tournament team for sure. But, uh, the net looks really good on them. That ranking and everything else looks pretty good on it. They, they fit the metric bill, but you know, when you put them out there in the court, you know, it's a different story at Allen Fieldhouse, as we all know. So, and Allen Fieldhouse has already got their, uh, uh, you know, their their calls going for them in Big Twelve play with TCU. So we'll see how that works out with the top. Uh, we're right now a top ten game uh, in Allen Fieldhouse. Should be a good game uh, as well over there. Yeah, you mentioned uh, K State uh, playing Texas Tech. Very good matchup here. K-State obviously dealt with some controversy with, uh, you know, kicking uh, Nick Juan Tomlin uh, off the team. And now here they are with 12 wins, three losses. Uh, have they kind of weathered through things here? What's the feeling uh, towards the Kansas State team right now? Uh, I, I, I think there's a really good test against a, a Texas Tech team that probably is better than what people thought they'd be. No, Texas Tech just went on the road and beat Texas by All double right. digits. So, yeah, they're a good ball, they're a good ball club. Uh, and we know how they are at home. Um at, at USA Arena, they're very good. They're tough to beat. They're tough out. They'll be hyped up for that one for sure in Lubbock. Uh, K-State is figuring things out. I mean, we know about Tyler Perry. We know about Arthur Kaluma. 
they just had to have another guy uh, kind of get back in the mix there. That's kind of helped him out. And Cam Carter's definitely been that guy. Um, don't know how long it's going to last this season, but they also had the benefit of playing, for my money, uh, two, two of the two worst teams in the Big 12 to start, UCF and West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia, of course, has not been the same with Bob Huggins. Without Bob Huggins, uh, UCF is, is not good. Uh, they're not supposed to be good. Kansas made them look good, but they're not supposed to be good. And they played them at home. I mean, they're up 35 points against UCF in the second half. So, uh, so far, so good. Got momentum going to Texas Tech. And, you know, Tang's a great coach. He'll get those guys ready. Uh, but they're right now like a cusp NCAA team. Uh, and I say cusp at best. Uh, they're definitely bubblish. So uh, they've got to stack the wins. And part of, the, part of the way to stack wins is going on the road and doing it. So they got to go to Lubbock, good test. And Texas Tech is a team that also needs to stack wins too. So a, a very important game for both teams uh, early in the Big 12 slate for both of them. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Harold, uh, before we go, uh, I always uh, enjoy when uh, you get something off your chest, when you, you have a rant to, to tell the folks out there. Is there, there anything that uh, you feel like uh, the folks need to know right now? Kansas City should not be hosting this football game this week. <laughs> Why are we doing this? I mean, I get it. You know, it's the, it's what it is on the schedule. But I hate it when people say football weather. This is not football weather. This is hell. Cold hell. That's what it is. This is not football weather. I can't stand it when people say, oh, this is good football weather. No, it's stupidity. That's what it is. It's stupid weather. Like, this is God telling you, yeah, maybe you should be doing something today. That's what God's telling you today. And yet you're doing it. $50 tickets at Arrowhead for a playoff game. $50, Tyler. 50 You got Miami people just buying them and then saying, no, we're not selling them. So the, the place looks half empty. It, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. They could have prevented this when they built, when they wanted to build the first ever retractable roof in the 70s. Uh, and now you got the Royals being a, 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 a a crap show right now trying to get their thing all organized so um i have a lot of things that i could rant about um but that is a combination of all in, in the shortest time i could possibly do it in it's just it's depressing um that that, that um people are going to be playing it and, and for any player who says oh it's nothing no it's it is something it is something you're going to feel it in the morning and i don't know what the heck they're talking about stop being tough all right Stop being tough, all right? You're not tough. This is not tough weather. This is not right. football weather. This never was football weather. You know, that's why the Rose Bowl is played. Why do you think they played the Super Bowl in, in L.A., in Texas, in New Orleans under a dome, in Miami? They don't play it in Green Bay. They don't play it in Chicago. They don't play it in Minneapolis. <laughs> they play it in warm weather. That's football weather. Football weather is 60, negative 5. They're not coming back to New York. Uh, no, again. and they got lucky. They got I've been talking about they got real lucky. That's it was like forty. They got lucky. <laughs> Harold, appreciate the time as always. Great to catch up with you, my friend. Uh, best of luck this weekend, and uh, make sure to follow this guy for all his updates on uh, X and social media. And uh, stay warm out there in that uh, football weather, Harold. All right, I, I can't wait. <laughs> Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, ohgcast.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com, and check out the Coach Bo Knows Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. 
Paul, we're talking a lot about retirement today, and that got me thinking about O'Connor Advisory Group, which is where you want to go when it comes to your retirement needs. If I'm Pete Carroll and Nick Saban, I'm probably calling Coach Bo right now. Yeah, you know, I, I did not get a call from Nick Saban today. Um, but Pete Carroll, uh, you're, there's still time. There's still time. You know, maybe Coach Carroll and I have had a talk. Who knows? Um, you know, I can't I can't give away client information. Um, what I can say is, yeah, it, it's certainly a time to think about it. You know, I always say when it comes to retirement planning, you got to think about it before it happens. And so I imagine these two guys have had their plan together for quite a while. But uh, you got to get on it early and, and, and take a look. So we want to be your partner. So if you're out there, you're thinking about retiring. Or if you know someone thinking about retiring in 2024, hey, this is the perfect time to talk to them. We want to get it done. I actually spent most of my day with two people today who were – later this year retirees one's going to be at the end of the second quarter one's going to be in the fall and just getting the plan started and saying here's what we're going to do it's never too early and don't let it get to be too late we want to be your partner oagcast.com accountadvisor.com for more information but let's start with the goat nick saban uh, i know you hate that term but i mean what a what a career you know all those national championships, all those SEC titles. Um, you know, people think of what he did at Alabama, but he won a title at LSU. He was successful at Michigan State as well before that. And yeah. even his NFL run. I mean, when he was at Miami, there was a season he won 10 games. He left the Dolphins not because he was being chased out. He left for a better job at the time. Bama was a better job than the Dolphins were. He was successful everywhere. He did it his way. Um, I mean, we've seen all the the coaches, the coordinators, the players, the, the championships, the draft picks. I mean, there will never be another Nick Saban ever again. No, you know, you mentioned the, the word, I hate the term goat, but if you're going to say the greatest at something, look, I, I, I said it on Twitter this afternoon. I said, I don't like the term goat, but what I will say is he is beyond peers. There is nobody in his class. What he's done at Alabama alone is worthy of that. And then when you go to think about what he did, you know, people want to say his role in the NFL was his two years in, in Miami were unsuccessful. They were a better franchise when he left than when he got there. Yes. And really, it would have been even better if that first offseason he would have got the quarterback that he wanted and didn't get that guy. Yeah, his medical staff failed him. Yes. And that, that wasn't his fault that they said, no. hey, Culpepper looks great. Breathe. How would the world have been different if Drew Brees would have been Nick Saban's co- uh, quarterback in the Miami Dolphins? Um, but then you go back to, and again, I'm an LSU guy. So you think about what he did at LSU was incredible. He was the first guy. He took the idea that the University of Miami was built on of – we're going to cut off this part and everything from here down is us. He did the same thing in Louisiana. He just went into LSU and said, Hey, if I can get the Louisiana kids to stay, I'll have a hell of a program. And that's what he did. He shut it down. The best players left for generations. And what used to be that LSU was this, um, you know, a half the state liked LSU and half the state went rooted for Grambling and Southern and, and, and the you know, those schools. Um, 
Now everyone was for LSU. And a lot of that is due to the success of what Nick Saban did. He was successful at Michigan State. He was successful as a defensive coordinator with the Cleveland Browns. You look at that staff is amazing. But what he's done and the what I respect about Nick Saban the most, and I love it when he's on McAfee because I, I get to see that at the office. It's appointment setting for me. Um, what I really like about Nick Saban, even though he's an Alabama coach, is that he's a teacher. And best coaches are teachers. And if you look at not only is it the success on the field, but look what he's done to the people who played for him. Everywhere. They've all been successful. Not all been successful, but the, the amount of success his guys at Alabama have had in the NFL, that his LSU guys had in the NFL, his Michigan State guys had in the NFL. You look at those places, he made them better players, better men, and that's being a teacher. That's what the epitome of being a coach is. And to me, he's on not only the Mount Rushmore of football coaches, but of the Mount Rushmore of all-time coaches, all sports. Yeah. For sure. Now, Alabama, where do they go from here? Uh, Dan Lanning sounds like the odds-on favorite, according to reports, the Oregon head coach. Um, but anybody and everybody uh, is going to be mentioned when a job like Alabama opens here. You know, Could we see a return for Lane Kiffin or Sark? Could Kalen DeBoer potentially be involved? Dabo Sweeney come back? This Alabama job, though, Bo, you and I have talked about this for, for quite a bit. That Nick Saban, yes, he did incredible work there. And at one point in time, at one point, this was the best job in college football. But yeah. they haven't kept up with the direction of the where college football is going, that they don't have the NIL resources compared to these yeah. other programs. You can still be very good at Alabama, but it's going to be hard for them, no matter who they hire, to be yeah. what they were under Nick Saban again. Yeah, let's make sure we say that correctly. It's you're going to he's he was going to always be successful moving forward, even in the NIL era, if you will, um, because he's Nick Saban and he's going to find a way to win. He has still been as successful now as he was five years ago. It just wasn't to the national championship holding the trophy. He was in the championship game this this year, and you could argue he had the best in the play. Yeah. Things changed too when uh when Kirby Smart wasn't on his staff anymore. Yeah. And yeah, but I, again, I, yeah, you look at it and I go, look, this guy still has it. The issue to me is the NIL thing. And I do agree that the Alabama job itself, if you are just looking at the success of the program, you'd say, holy shit, that's going to be a really big job. And it's going to be every coach in America is going to want that job. I think they're going to have a problem with this job. If Dan Lanning's the guy they want, and I think that that's a great fit. I don't know they can get him from Oregon. And we were just talking about this offline for a minute, and I said, look, Oregon's a better job right now because you have NIL, you have the resources there. Alabama simply doesn't have those resources, and that's going to be important moving forward. And you know, even Nick Saban was talking in the last 18, 24 months about, hey, we've got to have boosters stepping up. We've got to have these things. He used that term, stepping up, to land these players, to do these things. It wasn't going to be just about him spewing off 
how many guys he's gone to the NFL and how many national championships he's won. That doesn't work anymore. Now these kids want to get paid to the most elite levels. It's going to be there's I mean someone's good going to get that job, but no matter who gets that job, it will not be as successful. And therefore, it's kind of a losing, I don't want to say losing mentality, but it's going to be this, there's no one who's going to come in there and be Nick Saban. And right. look, let's What's be the real. old saying about being the guy that follows the legend? You want to be the guy that follows the guy that follows the guy. Right. And, and look, Nick Saban, as great as he is, and he's incredible, was not that popular with the hardcore Alabama fans in Alabama. They were always a three-loss season away for calling from his head because he's not one of them. But right. he's been so good, you how you going to fire the guy? Right. The next guy coming in had either be better be one of them and he can get a little bit of leeway, or he better be really good from the get-go and have a plan. You know, we've for a while, there was talk that Kirby Smart would be that guy. He's gone to Georgia and built something that he ain't leaving. He's got a better a better gig at Georgia now than Alabama is. Dan Lanning's probably got a better gig at Oregon. I I can see the Dabo thing. I don't think that's a good fit for Alabama, um, to be perfectly frank. And I could see maybe an NFL guy. You know, I think you and I talked a few weeks ago because we saw we kind of saw this coming. Vrabel's available. You know, who's that? Mike Vrabel, I think, would be a great fit. Vrabel, but I Vrabel's the guy. Yeah, Vrabel's the guy that I would definitely take a look at. You know, so there's going to be that kind of thing. I think tonight, if we if we're recording this today, this all happened. It's, you know, you're looking and go, okay, let's celebrate Nick Saban. And then tomorrow morning, let's talk about his replacement. And, hey, the AD who's going to make this hire, this hire also is his legacy now. Yeah whoever he brings in. So, hey, that's not a – I am not going to be a candidate for that job. And if I was called, I'd do the interview, but I don't know that I could do that job. I it's, it's That's going to be a hard job for anybody. And I, I I wish them all the success in the world except when they play LSU. Yeah. Um, I was just reading, too, that uh, front office sports is reporting that ESPN – is already eyeing Saban for college game day and to be Corso's eventual successor. I, I I think he's very good on TV. You know, he's he's not the loudest guy, but he's sneaky funny. Like I, I Saban's not even the sport. He'll still be around. I so I know some people from Louisiana who know him. And he is extremely funny. Like I've heard some of these things, these stories he's told, and uh, yeah, he when they put him in front of a camera and let him go, it's going to be pretty amazing. Yeah, I, well, I guess if he's if he's going to end up being the successor to um, Lee Corso, be a good fit. Yeah, I don't see him ever like putting on headgear. That that they'll live at the McAfee or something. Oh, but. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do something crazy like that. No, yeah. I. I the things I've heard, I've heard him like tell so many stories and say so many things that we're going to see a personality out of Nick Saban. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so. kind of like the Belichick thing, you know. I think we'll see something out of Belichick if he doesn't go coach. And he's on TV. Speaking of another personality, let's talk Pete Carroll now. Uh, the Seahawks 
ultimately decide to move on, not fire, but move on to an advisory role. They missed the playoffs, nine and eight record. Um, and it looks like this is the end for Pete Carroll. He says that he's still interested potentially in coaching. I don't know who wants Pete Carroll, but let, let, let's assume, first off, Bo, that this is the end, that Pete Carroll doesn't coach anywhere ever again. Another fantastic career. Absolutely. I think not only a college football Hall of Famer, he'll be a pro <laughs> football Hall of Fame coach as well. In that rare company of winning a national title in college football, and the Super Bowl, joining Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer, and really kind of ushered in this new era in the NFL, and really in college, too, of a player coach. Uh, I mean, he always has related well to his players. Um, you know, that both, both situations, too. USC was really down when he took over and turned them around. The Seahawks had never won a Super Bowl, and then he turned them into a powerhouse and brought them their first Super Bowl title. Uh, really just an, an incredible legacy. Uh, Pete Carroll is w- one of the all-time greats, not just in the NFL, but in college football as well. Yeah, I think when you look at Pete Carroll, it's one of those things where he's underrated. Like, he was a great coach in New England. He was a, co- a good coach with the Jets. He was incredible at USC. I mean, he would have, if he stays at USC, you know, they become the West Coast Alabama. Yeah. Um, you know, he had the opportunity to go to the Seahawks and what all happened there. And then he has this incredible run there. If you look, I think we made the comment last week, week before about Jimmy Johnson. We said about Jimmy Johnson was probably the best coach. If you look at both college and the NFL, Pete Carroll's in that argument. I mean, yeah, he's, he's number two. He, yeah, I would. I mean, I think he would be number two. But yeah, if I had, if I had to, without sitting down and making a list, I think I would top of my head go number two. Great, great coach. I love Pete Carroll, not just because of what he does on the field. Um, he is also one of the guys of an innovator at the youth sports level. I'll tell you a quick story. So I was with working with a youth team. This is 12 years ago, maybe 12, 15 years ago, a youth program here in Lawrence, Kansas. And they were having problems with injuries, players getting hurt on tackling. So we did some research, and we were always working with, like, USA football, you know, her heads-up football, as they called it. And – I took this to him when I was the head coach at the high school level. We took in what Pete Carroll did with a company called, um, um, uh, oh, God damn it. Anyway, Pete Carroll did this thing where he was teaching, he took rugby tackling and brought it to the NFL. It was a huddle, huddle, which is the video people for yeah, high school yeah. college. Um, he did this thing on huddle where he was teaching people, this is how we tackle in Seattle. And it wasn't, how they've taught tackling for 30 years. It was taking the ideas of rugby tackling and it was safer and it was more effective. And again, that's going back to the same thing I said about Saban. That's one of the things about Carroll is he's not just a great coach. He's a great teacher. Yes. It gets locked in transition. A lot of times we talk about coaches and that's one thing. I mean, like I said, we taught, it was called Hawk tackling. We took Hawk tackling where I coached when I coached at Veritas high school and and we used that and taught our kids how to tackle. And they were just better tacklers over almost overnight. Um, and it was taking this idea and doing something with it. And then, so it's not just about what happens on the field. And those two guys epitomize it. And with Pete Carroll again, that I, I want to ask you, how old is Pete Carroll now? 72. 
Okay. I saw that Saban was 72. You asked earlier if I thought that maybe Pete Carroll would coach again. It'd be hard for an NFL team to go to a Pete Carroll at 72 years old and bring him in. I could see the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, but again, I think there's they're gonna want a younger hip kind of they're gonna be they're gonna try to get in the Harbaugh. They're gonna not just try for Harbaugh, but they're gonna go for something flashy. That's who they are. That's who that new owner, Temper is. Yeah. Um, you know what'd be funny though? I wouldn't be surprised to see Pete Carroll do something similar to what Bill Walsh did at the end of his career, go to some, you know, Bill Walsh to Stanford. You know, see Pete Carroll go somewhere in a nice, in a you know, a good weather city, and go coach at the college level. Yeah, you know, just 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 to do it. You know, not right. not at a high level, not at the Big Ten or the SEC, but in the American Athletic Conference or in Division Two. I mean, if he loves the game and wants to be around it, that's the way to do it. Right. You know, he. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Yeah. Yeah, I can see something like that. Um, the Seahawks job now being open. Yeah. You know, since Pete Carroll came in, it, it has totally changed the perception of what we think about the Seattle Seahawks. Now, that is a winning organization. They got a very nice. good culture there and uh, you know, great resources, great city in Seattle, good ownership group, GM, all that stuff. And, and that starts with Pete Carroll, what he did to change that organization in the last 14 years. Now you look at there's a lot of young talent on that Seahawks team. Um, and we mentioned all those other things they have going for them. I think, Bo, this now becomes the best job opening available of all the job openings. And you pick 16th. Geno has a team option. You don't have to bring him back. So as the new head coach, you can pick your quarterback or you can bring Geno back and still draft his his successor potentially. To me, uh, whether it's – I know Dan Quinn sounds like the favorite. Harbaugh's been mentioned. Um, you know, Ben Johnson, some of these others here. I, I think this is a very attractive job. I think it's an attractive job, too. The, the First off, the culture's changed. You know, you talked about that. Before Pete Carroll, the Seahawks were an also-ran. They were the, you know, the traditionally the worst team in the division. They're just kind of there. Not a lot of success, if any at all. And he changed the culture. You know, he started with the Legion of Boom. He took a second-year quarterback to the Super Bowl with Russell Wilson, and and they did it that way. And it was different than how everybody else did. And he, unfortunately, they had to kind of disband the legal the Legion of Boom and go with the quarterback because eventually you got to pay the quarterback. And the salary caps kind of did that. But I do think that. That's a good job. There's a lot you can do, and the, the the flexibility at the quarterback position does make that attractive. I haven't sat down. That's what I'm doing for my podcast this week. Is I'm gonna look at all these jobs and kind of rate them. Where do I think is the best job? Um, it may be the top one. It might if it's not the top one, it's one of the best ones. I would see you got a you got a committed owner, a committed place, fan base that loves it. Um, yeah, I mean, Pete Carroll changed all that culture, and that makes that job attractive. Dan Quinn is a home run hire for them. You know, he was their defensive coordinator uh, through the Legion of Boom, and if he can go in and bring him in some one of these young, good OCs to coach that offense up, he's got some pieces. Man, they could be real good real quick. And to have that quarterback flexibility, even if you take the team option on, G on Geno Smith, that's not an expensive option for the quarterback position. So 
and still with the ability to still draft his replacement too. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I, that's the thing I would probably do is take that option. We're gonna play you, but we're gonna bring someone in. I have this question. This doesn't happen if Dan Quinn comes in. What would be the odds of Russell Wilson going back to Seattle? Very slim. Uh, he's burned too many bridges, I think. Uh, but, but I will say well, one thing. Though, one thing that is interesting about that, though, that actually we mentioned the Geno contracts pretty friendly, even if you take on the team option uh, with Russ. It sounds like wherever he goes, he'll he'll play for the league minimum. That way, he forces Denver to still pay him all his money. I guess for every dollar he takes from another team takes away from the money oh, Denver has to pay him. So yeah. I don't if, think if he's, he's coming that's back. That's if he's but... cut. That's if he's cut. Right. Yeah. yeah I don't, and I don't suspect trade. anyone's going to go in and, and trade for him. So, no one's uh, trading for I, I, yeah. I think that, honestly, is is what would be the attractive part of Ross is, oh, I could have him and spend money elsewhere, kind of like what Seattle did when he was, you know, second-year yeah. player to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I don't think that that's what – I don't think it's a Dan Quinn thing is because I think there was a lot of animosity. Well, what we hear – stories we heard later. Right. The defensive players have a lot of animosity toward Russell Wilson after that Super Bowl year. Right. That there was – once he got paid, a lot of those players had to leave and a huge part of the animosity there. So, yeah. again, I don't see that happening with Dan Quinn. I can see it happen in other situations. If, if a coach came in who believed in him. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, Michigan wins the national title over Washington. Um, man, the the way that team just looked so good up front, both on offense and on defense, they ran the ball so well. Um, they, they came in on a mission. I mean, they they played so well. What was your takeaways from what we saw from the national champions on Monday night? So going in, I begrudgingly picked Washington plus the points when it was coming to my actual pick for the game, and I had to make a pick. But what I did say is I said, whoever gets behind in this game is screwed. Um, if Washington came out all hot and got Michigan down, then Michigan did not have a way to come back. But if Michigan played physical football, Washington couldn't match up with that. And that's exactly what happened, is that they just could not play that physical brand of football. Um, Michigan's defense had an answer for the Penix situation. I think I figured out what's wrong with Michael Penix. I'll talk about it on my podcast, but I think I found the one thing I don't like about him, and I saw it in this championship game. I'm going to go back and look at some more film before I come out fully with it. But um, it wasn't that he played bad. He made some great throws, and there was some balls that should have been caught, especially with those three receivers they have that are all future NFL guys. But at the same time, that pressure, Washington hadn't seen that. In a couple of games this year where Washington did face some pressure, they could not score a high volume of points. And that was my concern going in. I said, look, if they get in front, they're okay. But they weren't going to come back from behind. Neither, neither team was. And that's what ended up, uh, ended up happening here. And then at the end, he just gets away in the fourth, you know, the second half of the fourth quarter. I mean, just, you have know, the pick six, well, you know, the, the interception, it takes it back down. And then, you know, the last touchdown, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? Michigan's done it old school. I mean, that's a team that wants to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. That's a team after my own heart there. I love teams that run the football. And if you're going to run the ball and you dominate the line of scrimmage like that, you deserve to win the game. You deserve to win every game if you if you, if you you win the line of scrimmage. And that's what Michigan did all season long. 
and that's what they continue to do. Um, that's a really good team. They deserve to be national champs. They were yeah. the best team. Oh, like cool thing. Harbaugh's future. I mean, I, I look at it this way, Bo. There's there's plenty of good options for Jim Harbaugh if he wants to go back to the NFL. There'll be a number of teams that would gladly hire him. But in Michigan, I, I know that, you know, he's frustrated, I'm sure, with the NCAA and how he's been treated and, and all these different things and probably has more penalties coming up on that front, you know, at some point and all that. But they've built something very good. Uh, they have a good NIL program. I mean, there's there's a lot of good going on, and they can certainly build from this and – uh, be the team to beat in the Big Ten for years to come. I, I don't think Ohio State is catching up to Michigan as long as Jim Harbaugh's there. If you're Jim, Har- Jim Harbaugh, you can be picky with these NFL jobs if you decide to leave here. You don't have to leave Michigan at this very moment, I don't think. I I, I think there's still a yeah. decent chance he ends up coming back. Yeah, he's got a – from what I understand, he's got a huge extension on the table. I mean, ready to go. Now, he did go hire an agent who works – exclusively in the NFL coaching area. And, you know, right now they're looking at teams, they're talking to teams and saying, make us the package. What's the package look like? If you're Jim Harbaugh, one, you want to go back to the NFL. I think he does want that. He won a national title. He turned Michigan around. That's his alma mater. What else has he got left to accomplish in college? This is like when LeBron came back to Cleveland and won a title. Yeah, in many ways. And if you look at it now and you say, okay, well, now he can go back to the NFL where he was successful. But now he gets to say, he gets to write his own check now. He gets to write the ticket. He gets to say, this is what I want. He's going to want his own general manager. He's going to want say in who the GM is because they got to keep that philosophy together. They got to have this philosophy that they both are locked to and step with. He's going to want say in who the quarterback is. He's going to want say in, you know, the entire team. He's going to use the parcel. I mean, it's like Parcells once said, you know, don't, you know, if I'm going to make the meal, I got to shop for the groceries too. I don't think he becomes general manager slash coach, but I do think wherever he goes, he takes somebody or he has to be the one who chooses that general manager. I think that's going to be important to him. So Similar now to Pete Carroll actually – Similar to Pete Carroll in Seattle when he came in and chose John Schneider as GM and yes. he was VP of football ops. Exactly. And what you're going to see now is he's not going anywhere where he is not in tune with who the GM is. So you can start taking that list and start checking some things off. You know, the some of the hot openings, New England's open, or New England's going to be open at some point soon. That ain't going to um, I don't see – let's see. Let's open Seattle. Again, I don't see him going to Seattle unless he can bring his own GM. I don't think right. that's going to happen. Chargers. The Chargers. The Chargers are the attractive one. Will the Spanos just be able to spend money? That's what the whole argument will be with them. His, his talk with them will be, I have to have a commitment that you're going to actually be the kind of owner that I want to coach for. Right. You brought up the point earlier. I think it's a great point. He doesn't have to leave. He doesn't have to. And if these jobs do not fit what he wants, he ain't going anywhere. And so that's the piece to think about. The one that 
makes sense to me. I think it's got shit nuts, but I think it works well for Jim Harbaugh. Is Carolina and David Tepper. Guys, already nuts. We know he's going to spend money, and they don't have a GM. He just brings on GM with him. Now, the issue is, do you want to play for an owner who's already fired two coaches in two years? And two coaches in three years, whatever it's been. He's only fired fired both his coaches. And who's going to have some really heavy expectations? You know, what's going to be the, you know, timetable you're going to get going in there to the worst team in the league? Right. But he's going to also get paid extremely well if he goes there or anything. Yeah, the Harbaugh thing is ex- extremely interesting to me. Yeah, and, and everybody assumed the Bears would be the fit, and they announced that Eberflus is coming back. Eberflus is staying. So does that mean that Jim Harbaugh stays in Michigan another year and says, hey, Eberflus will mess this up, and I'm going to get some kind of bounty of picks because they're going to trade that first pick well, and keep, and keep and, Justin Fields. And then, too, think about this, uh, as far as that, that Bears situation goes – um, you know, this is, you know, an organization with Eberflus and with Fields and company, like we, we all feel like it's just, you're just pushing the can down the road. Like that job probably is open next off season and Harbaugh, I know everybody's talking about Michigan's offered him this big 10 year extension. He can talk, can't talk to NFL teams and all that. He doesn't have to necessarily sign that with Michigan either. He could say, you know what, here's the deal. I'm coming back. I'm not signing that contract. I'll stay on the one I have or we can do a different deal. We don't have to deal that one. Yeah, he can say, he can come back and and go back into negotiation and say, look, I'm going to keep flirting once in a while and I don't want this to not be the deal. I'm going to be here temporarily. You know, I'm going to, if you want to go year to year, that's fine. He'll figure something out. He's not a, he's not a stupid guy and he's got, he's got, that's what having an agent and a lawyer's for. So I suspect that he's going to make the best decision that's the best one for him. Yeah. And I do think that the Bears thing, I will say this real quick. The Eberflus thing, I think, has more to do with the Bears situation as a franchise than it does the coach. Yeah. I think that with the stadium issues and everything else they're going into, I think there's a lot of people that probably wouldn't be open to the idea of going there and thinking about, hey, where are we at? And then you got to make this – call about the quarterback. Do you keep Justin Fields? Do you take Caleb Williams? You know, what are you going to do there? I think that that's going to be interesting to see what happens. So I think that's a, a tough thing and why the Bears probably are staying with the Eberflus. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the playoff games this weekend. Let's uh, do the AFC first, then we'll do the NFC. Um, go one by one through these real quick. Uh, Browns, Texans. Who would have thought these two teams would be in the postseason here? What a story. Texans with 10 wins, Browns with 11. Browns are a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road here. Bo, uh, I know you like the stories of both these teams. C.J. Stroud on one side, Joe Flacco on the other, and that Browns defense. Can that Browns defense win on the road? You know they can. Uh, I, this, to me, is my favorite game of the weekend. This is going to go either way. This game can literally go either way. Um, I like Houston here. I like what C.J. Stroud is. C.J. Stroud's had one of the best two or three rookie seasons any quarterback has ever had. It's not quite Marino in 83, but it's it's close. Um, and I that's a young team. It's hungry. 
Cleveland has, you know, played with this Joe Flacco magic. I'm not sure he can do that against the secondary of the Texans. I'm going to take the Texans here in a really close game. But Cleveland's defense, that they can get a they can get a strip sack, a couple of fumbles, a couple of balls that that defense can get you, then that's the difference in that game. But uh, I like Houston here. Dolphins and Chiefs, it is going to be cold as balls on Saturday night. Uh, getting down to negative five and snow. Um, Bo, I, I know you and I aren't very high on this Chiefs team, but the Dolphins are even more fraudulent than the Chiefs are. And that Dolphin team trying to play in Kansas City, Pat, Patrick Mahomes has actually played great in the snow and embraced those conditions. I don't see any way how this Miami team goes in the Kansas City in these conditions and pulls off the upset. What do you think? I think the Dolphins are going to win the game. What? They're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball. Watch. They're going to run the shit out of the ball. They're going to run the ball against the Chiefs. They're going to keep running. This game is going to be close and low scoring. Chiefs offense has been awful. I mean, they they should have lost to the Bengals two weeks ago. I was at that game. And what I will give Andy Reid credit for in that game is he did what no coaches do now, which is take three points and you can get them. And he did it six times. And he did it. That was what won the game for them. Chiefs offense has been awful. And... The Dolphins are going to run the football. I know that people are going to see the cold. The cold's going to affect both teams. When Mahomes has played great in the cold and the snow, he's also had better players around him. Yeah. And he's been able to complete passes to – I just – I'm really – I think the Chiefs offense is going to have a trouble outscoring the Dolphins in this game. Now, when I mean outscoring, I don't mean it's going to be 30 points each way. I mean, like, it might be a race to 20. And yeah. I'm not sure that the, that the Chiefs can score 20 points. Right. I'm taking the Dolphins in this game because they're going to run the shit out of the football. That's the thing no one's really talked about all season. I mean, Raheem Mostert's got it, has a thousand yard season. He's out now, but look at what Achan's done. Yeah. And they really defensively, they, they played every, every down with Buffalo in that game. And, right. and they forced Josh Allen to make some mistakes. Who's to say that Mahomes won't do the same thing? I I don't think that either of these two teams are Super Bowl contenders at this point. I agree. I think the teams are about the same as far as the talent. They both – I mean, the Chiefs have the best player on the field. Right, Mahomes. right. But I'm watching the Dolphins. They're going to run the ball. And if they, if, they, if they don't commit to running the ball, the Chiefs blow them out. I mean, the Chiefs could absolutely just run them out of the, out of the stadium. But if they run the ball, shorten the game, I like the Dolphins. Steelers-Bills, both teams playing really hot right now. Mason Rudolph has looked fantastic. Uh, Josh Allen, he's he's turning over the football, sure. But he's still winning games. And I I think a misconception with those high turnovers from Josh Allen is those are the equivalent of punts a lot of times, those turnovers he makes. Bills are at home. Bills are favored by 10 here. Bo, I, I like the way both these teams are playing, but I, I think there's a there's a talent mismatch here with Buffalo here. Yeah, no TJ Watt in the game either for the Steelers. Right. So that's the the biggest thing for the Steelers. I like Buffalo. I like Buffalo big. Um, I think it's a 10, 12 point game. Um, I agree with you on the Josh Allen stuff. Look, he's he's fantastic. 
Josh Allen, I heard the the, um, the comparison last week's game talking about Josh Allen and John Elway. Yeah. And I do see some of that. Josh Allen's like the second toughest running back to take down in the league. I mean, if he was a running back, he'd be like, he's Derrick Henry. Yeah. Um, but not only is he good, uh, gets out of the pocket, he does make mistakes. You look at like the, the interception he threw in the end zone, the second interception in the end zone last week's game. Yeah. That was fourth down. Right. He threw it in the end zone. The defender should have dropped the ball. Yeah. It was a it was a, it was a punt. I'll tell you the guy that I think of when I think of those kind of like the interception thing. It's old school. I think of Terry Bradshaw. Yeah. Terry Bradshaw got knocked for throwing more interceptions than touchdowns, but he won four Super Bowls. Right. You know, I mean, that's that's what effectively it is. It's throwing deep balls and those being interceptions. Well, those are punts. Right. I get it. And so um their defenses, the Buffalo defense has been good to keep them in games as well. Yeah. They needed a stop, they've gotten them. So here I think it's the mismatch. I think that this is the the team that crept into the playoffs, I guess the maybe the hottest team in the AFC right now. Give me Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why Josh Allen's on the cover of Madden because he's playing Madden every week uh, on the football field. No punning. Packers, Cowboys, um, Bo, if the Cowboys play their game and they've been the best team at home this year in the NFL, if they play to their potential, this game won't be close. Yeah. Um, the only thing they can get in the way for the Cowboys is the fat man holding their play sheets. Uh, Honestly, um, they're a better team in every which way. They're a better defense. They're a better offense. They're better at running the ball. They're better at throwing the ball. Um, they're at home, which they which they got the best record in the league at home this year. I don't see how Dallas loses this game unless Mike McCarthy just absolutely pisses down his own leg. And if he and if, if if Green Bay wins this game, Dallas should fire Mike McCarthy. Yeah. I'm with you. Rams and Lions. Uh, Stafford makes his return to Detroit with a golf the, on the other side. Um, I think this is a really good game. These, I think both these teams can win the NFC. Bo, what do you make of uh, this matchup here? I, I, I think this is the best game of the weekend, probably a coin flip game. I, I think this one will be Houston game. I think of my two favorites this weekend. Um, I look at it and I go, well, the Rams got – Hot in the second half of the season. They play, they, they've, they've weathered some injuries. We've seen how good Sean McVay is uh, as far as coaching that team, what he's done there. I I have a concern with Detroit. My concern is that in, in their inconsistency offensively, we really haven't seen it since Thanksgiving. They were They were really bad in that game. And we would see like every three or four weeks, they might win a game, but they just had some inconsistency offensively. They've cleaned that up a little bit since Thanksgiving, and they've been they've been really good. And they again they beat Dallas and Dallas. I don't you know we saw what happened there, but um, I like Detroit. I agree with you. I think the winner of this game is the team to look for. This the winner of this game could go to Dallas and go to San Francisco and give them everything that they want. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, San Francisco's not going to be – if San Francisco's going to lose a game, it's going to be one of these two teams that beats them. Um, Eagles and Bucks, both teams are not playing great. And I got to say, Bo, 
it's getting ridiculous that people are talking about Sirianni's job being on the line in this. They just went to a Super Bowl last year. Like, come yeah. on. I understand the Eagles haven't played great down the stretch, but um I, I would I would still be surprised if they if they lost this game in Tampa and if Sirianni's gone. Like uh what 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 do you think of this this situation? How much pressure is there on Philly to get this win? I think there's a lot of pressure on Philly to get this win. Uh they've played horrible the last third of the season. Their only win, and you go back six games now, their only wins the game against the Giants three weeks ago. Um and they just got, got last right? beat by him last week. Just got beat. I mean, just beat like a drum by him. Um, you look at what's happened with Jalen. We're going to find out that Jalen Hurts is hurt. I mean, look, he's hurt. Um, I just look at this Eagles team and I wonder what's wrong. And they're not very physical in the defensive line right now. Uh, they're not very good on the back half of the defense. Teams are running up the scores on them. I mean, we've had the Giants just score 27 points against them. The Cardinals are 35, and the week before that, the Giants in a losing effort scored 25. So you look, the Cardinals, or the two games against the Giants and the game against the Cardinals, they, they, the defense has averaged given up almost 28 points. It's like, what are you doing? Um, the Eagles need this game. Now, the Bucs are bad. The Bucs are bad. I don't care what anyone says. That's a bad football team in the worst division in football. Uh, it's a joke that anybody in the NFC South in the playoffs right now, they got nothing to lose. They got nothing to lose. And team with nothing to lose is a dangerous team. And they got a guy at home. At home. And they got a guy who's willing to grab his nuts on the sideline and go, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this thing like a gunslinger all over the goddamn field. I don't, you know, I mean, we've argued a lot about Baker Mayfield. I don't think he's a very good quarterback. But what I do think he has is boxing. And I think this is where you see that. And well, he could come out and throw for four touchdowns this week and win that game, or he might throw four interceptions and they get beat up bad. It's going to all depend on how the Eagles play. I, I really don't want to pick this game. Um, I'm going to take the Eagles. I think they're a better team. But I'm not sure they're not hot right now. They're not, they need this game. There's a lot of pressure on them. And the Bucs have zero to lose from here. They're all house money. And they get the game at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last question. We'll uh we'll end on this. Uh how you feeling about now that we know the the seating and these matchups and everything? What's uh what's kind of your early gauge on who is gonna get to Vegas at this point and win it all? I think there's a disruptor on each side. The winner of the Rams-Lions game is a disruptor. Buffalo is a disruptor. And I think that Buffalo's the one team, I think if I'm the Ravens, I don't want to play. Yep. And I think that if I'm the 49ers, I want no piece of that that Detroit-LA winner. But they're going to get them. I... I'm going to still take the Ravens in the AFC, but I could see them in Buffalo, come down to them in Buffalo, and that's going to be a tough one. In the NFC, if Detroit gets past the Rams, I like Detroit. I do. I think if they can get past the Rams, I think they make it to the Super Bowl. We'll see. 
We'll see how it all plays out. Bo, what's uh, what's on the podcast? Hey, we uh, we recorded some stuff, and then uh, then Nick Saban and Pete Carroll both lost their jobs, so that's going to change everything. Uh, so we're going to be re-recording here in a bit, and uh, we're going to talk all about these coaching positions. I'm going to go through the head coaching positions that are currently open, kind of rate them, talk about each of kind of what we did, but a little bit in more in depth. Uh, I'm not going to get into who I think should be the replacements and this and that. I'm also going to talk about a couple of teams that should have fired coaches. Um, I would like to ask you a quick question, if I may. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. What is your take on the Saints-Falcons ending of the game? You know, if we didn't have these crazy coaching changes, I wanted to get into that, but I'll, I'll make it real brief here. I, I thought it was very entertaining. I was happy for Jameis. Uh, I think Dennis Allen has no control of that locker room. Uh, but I did think Arthur Smith deserved that. I thought that was a fitting in for Arthur Smith's tenure in Atlanta. Uh, from a – I can understand not liking it if you are a – you know, if you're a Saints fan or if you're more, someone in that coaching staff, but as a as a guy, I've always liked Jameis and <laughs> just a, from an entertainment standpoint, I, I loved it. Okay, so I think the two things can be the same. I love Jameis Winston. Look, and people know I am a Saints fan. I'm a recovering Saints fan. Um, but I think Jameis Winston and the team was wrong for doing what they did. Yes, yes. I would have had no problem with lining up at the one-yard line and running a play. Right. But I don't like doing the victory formation. I think that was Bush League. I think that that – I think that Arthur Oxman had every right to be upset about that because who does that? I mean, in victory formation, your defensive linemen stand up. They don't do anything. That's what I thought was cheap about. Sure. Now, I think two things can be the same. I think that you can look at it and go, yeah, that was cheap. And as the report goes, Dennis Allen was asked to try to get Jamal Williams a touchdown. He said no, go out there and spike going down, kneel the ball. Players decided they were going to run a play. Um, I think what it showed, you touched on this, is that Dennis Allen's players do not respect him. Right. And I think that Dennis Allen has to lose his job. And I don't think the Saints are going to do it. Um, I heard a rumor today they're going to bring on John Gruden as an offensive assistant. Yeah. And as a consultant. He may end up being an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, I think the Saints doubled down. I'm going to talk a lot about this on my pod. I think this is a horrible situation where he should clearly have been fired. I mean, not the it's the not the action of doing what they did, right? But the fact that he said don't do it and the players did it. Yeah. That's horrible to me. Um, but oh. that's where I'm. Bo, uh, great stuff as always. We got to run. Uh, yep. Have a great rest of your week, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you on the other side. We'll talk to you next week. Take care, Tyler. Final segment before we go. It's our top four story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where are we going to this time? Jones, you said something ridiculous happened in the world. We'll change ridiculous for irrelevant. Uh, something irrelevant happening in the world. We're going to. This is by Outkick Coverage. A lot of people have talked about this, though. And, Jones, uh, after talking to you, it seems like you're kind of for it. I could warm up to this idea. Article reads, the irrelevant bowl might be the best idea ever that no one will want any part of. Move over expanded college football playoff field and inject the irrelevant bowl into our collective veins. People love stuff that sucks. Yeah, sometimes. 
Um, Bonk. They love bad movies, bad TV, bad anything. I mean, Walk the Moon <laughs> has a career because people love bad music. Jesus, they took a stray. <laughs> Jesus, Outkick. <laughs> wow. So why not pit the nation's two worst FBS teams against each other? That's the idea behind the Irrelevant Bowl. Jones, the Irrelevant Bowl, I think, could work. We are in we are in the era of Mr. Irrelevant being Brock Purdy. Made a great story out of Brock Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant. Maybe another great story can come out of the Irrelevant Bowl. What do you think? I think it's a brilliant idea. This year, we would have gotten Vanderbilt and Akron uh, in the matchup if you were to take the two worst teams by record in the FBS. And I got to tell you, I would be way more interested in watching that and see these bad teams try to duke it out for a win and a bowl trip and all that than half these bowl games anyway. Uh, to me, that would be awesome. You know, as a as a Kansas football fan, uh, I, I know bad football very well. Luckily, those days are behind us now, and uh, better days are even further ahead. But I am old enough to remember when Kansas had not one but two different zero-win seasons in uh, my academic career at the University of Kansas, where I lived in Lawrence. Uh, one was the, the COVID year uh, under Les Miles, his last season there. And then another was David Beatty's first season there. And when Kansas and Beatty's first year went 0-12, that same year UCF went 0-12 as well. And we were saying back then, like, man, we would love it if these two played in a bowl game of some sorts to try to get a win and duke it out. And it'd be great. It'd be highly entertaining. It'd get good ratings. People would love to see this and get those programs in the spotlight and get these kids a chance to have uh, a win on that stage. I think it's a brilliant idea. But as far as back to reality goes, Tom, there's no way in hell that the NCAA is going to give a waiver to allow this bowl to happen. Um, the conferences would not sign off on this. The schools themselves, I don't think, would want to be a part to try to promote uh, bad football. And bowl games are supposed to be a reward. But my, my argument, Tom, like, you know, the, saving the sanctity of the Bulls and the Bulls and all that, yeah, like putting these six and six and five and seven teams really is a big deal here. You know, we, we really need to honor those guys. Like, why not? I mean, I can see it kind of being a reward as like, you know, a lot of these five and seven, six and six teams that get it, they really strive to make those bowls, not because their season was that good, but because they get extra practices. Award the two worst teams with extra practices like the bowl teams get. You know, and maybe some people will tank for extra practices. I don't, that would be very interesting. Um, now, Jones, there's still more to this article, but before I get to the rest of it, what is the most, what is the biggest, most irrelevant city in the U.S.? The big- Where would this bowl game be played? Like, would we play it in like Coeur d'Alene, Idaho? Well, or what's the just a relevant city? Or where does Idaho Vandals? Where's the Kibbe Dome? Kibbe Dome's in Moscow, Idaho. Sounds like a horrible and great place for this bowl. Um, 
I think this game's got to be in Toledo. I was going to – you said Akron would have been in it this year. I would have probably put that. Um, yeah. But Toledo would be a great choice. Um, Shreveport would be a great choice, but they have – Oh, God. Um, <sighs> Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, Mobile, Alabama. Mobile's got a bowl game, yeah. Um, you know um, – I've always wanted Tulsa to have a bowl game. What if we had? The- I don't want the irrelevant bowl in Tulsa. The QT uh, irrelevant bowl. I don't. I don't live in Tulsa anymore, but I can't do that to my to my home away from home. Put it at Skelly Stadium. Put it in fucking Kawita. <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare put that in the nine one eight. We can't. We don't live there anymore. But sometimes I wish I was back. What's what about, uh? What about Reno? I thought I was gonna say like put the shit out in Area 51 or you know New Mexico or uh, what it's what where's Area 51? Um, uh, Roswell, Roswell, Reno, Roswell, just out in the desert. Uh, you could put it where Burning Man's at in Block Rock Desert. Uh, what's another shithole place? Oh man. Um, I mean, it's got to be like when I first thought about this, I was like, okay, it's got to be somewhere in Ohio. Put yeah. it, yeah, there we go. Put it in Gary, Indiana. <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> there you go. Gary, right, right outside. Yeah, just Gary, Indiana is perfect. Um, East St. Louis. Put it, yeah, put it in the old Edward Jones Dome. Oh, yes. There we go. In St. Louis, now that's a fitting place. Yeah, there you go. The, I think uh, we have our winner, St. Louis, Missouri, at the old Edward Jones Dome. The gateway to a relevancy bowl. Yes. <laughs> okay, rest of these, golly. Yeah, the Edward Jones Dome hosted by or presented by, uh, what's the insurance company in St. Louis? Uh, Shelter Insurance. There you go. <laughs> Shelter insurance in a irrelevant bowl. Oh, Shelter my God. Uh, who would perform at halftime? We got to have a walk halftime the, It's got to be Walk the Moon. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I was going to say maybe somebody like Imagine Dragons. Yeah, the Chainsmokers. Yeah, they've kind of fell into real irrelevancy. Nelly is trying to make his way back. I won't do that to my favorite childhood rapper. No, we we got him on uh, a soldier boy. Soldier we got boy. Nelly on a Big Twelve exclusive contract now for for shitty halftime shows. That that's true. Soldier boy, maybe. Yeah. Um. Oh man. Uh. Okay. So here's another thing. Let's say, just for shits and giggles here. So the Big Twelve, um, championship they had. They had food items and drink items for each team. You got one food item for Oklahoma State, one drink for Oklahoma State, and then for Texas they had each a food and a drink too. I I forget what they were. I tried to put that last Big 12 championship out of my mind, but it was something to have to do with Oklahoma foods. And if let's say if KU was in it, you would have to have the David Beatty mac and cheese as your food item for KU. Oh, we're bringing back the David Beatty. Yes. Yeah, that would have to be it. I mean. I don't know. I mean, how far is Akron from Cincinnati? 
It's it's Akron. It's not Akron. Akron, uh, Akron, Akron. See, they're I, they're not good enough for me to. They're irrelevant. I don't have to pronounce it right. You couldn't really use Skyline Chili. That's a Cincinnati thing. Akron to Cincinnati is about three hours forty five minutes. Yeah, it's too far. I don't know. I don't know enough of the uh, culinary arts around around irrelevant teams. Um, UCF. I don't. I'm trying to think. UCF. What What's the food in Florida that's go to? I mean, it was in, in Miami. You could use like a Cuban sandwich or something, right? Um, I don't know. For Orlando, you could use like a a Walt Dis- like a, a a waffle shape like uh, Mickey Mouse. Uh, something like that. I mean, this would, this would be the ultimate Mickey Mouse championship. There you go. Yeah. The winner gets, instead of you, when you get to go to Disney World, if you lose, if you lose the game, you are barred from Disney for life. Now, here's my compromise. If the NCAA is not going to give the waivers to do this, why don't we just take the two worst bold teams and put them in this? I mean, that's essentially what the irrelevant bowl would be. I don't know. Who were the two worst bowl teams? They played in like the Boca Raton Bowl or something this year. Um, let's uh let's take a look. What's now, the bottom bowl? Now now this is where my this is like our Joe Rogan portion of the show, you know, where we uh Yeah, Jay Jamie, look that up. Hey Jamie, look at yeah. Oh yeah, we need we need to get Brian Nolan back on the show. He can be the Jamie. Uh, let's see here. We had, I'm going, I'm looking back at the early bowls here. Yeah. What's the bad boy mowers bowl? Who played that? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Let's the see. bad boy mowers bowl. Uh, oh yeah. The, the scooters coffee Frisco bowl. Yeah. That's pretty bad. I mean, was even Wyoming Toledo, which was actually an entertaining game being the barstool game. Yeah. Oh, th- this is probably the worst one. The uh the uh Camilla Bowl between Northern Illinois and Arkansas State. Yeah, that's pretty bad. What was that called? The Camillo? Camilla Bowl. It was in Montgomery, Alabama. Oh yeah. See, that's you know, if if a St. Louis couldn't host it for whatever reason, if they had like a if they had like a Boy Scout Leaders of America conference at Edward Jones Dome, they had to put it somewhere else. Montgomery, Alabama would be there. And then you had Georgia State and Utah State. Both teams were six and six going in in the Potato Bowl in Boise. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, yeah. But you you had the great South Alabama beat Eastern Michigan in the 68 Ventures Bowl in Mobile. Yeah, so we we have the teams, Jones. We could come up with some foods. We have our place. It's got to be the Edward Jones Dome. Yes. This, this article goes on. They say, they get, the article goes on, Royal Engelbrecht is a Hall of Fame question mark promoter out of New York Beach, Newport Beach, California, which Hall of Fame? The John Brown University Hall of Fame was the best that I could find. That still seems goofy enough. Shout out Arkansas. Um, promoter close enough to this. Maybe this reminded me when they said, who's promoting this? This guy is this reminded me who would call the game. It had to be two shitty announcers. 
Oh man. Let's see. Who's the irrelevant color court? You know, who's 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 doing color, who's doing play by play? Man, uh I I gotta get Dan Fouts involved. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Fouts, I think, will get him out of retirement to come back and do this game. Bring uh, back the old man from OU. Merv Johnson? Yeah, bring him out of the grave. I was about to say, and he did. Uh, yeah, he could just put him up there. He just just play old clips from Merv. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, gosh, there's there's some there's some bad ones out there. Like I I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but if there was a basketball, if you could do basketball, I know I would be taking Clyde Drexler <laughs> for sure. He would be number one. Um. Oh, okay. I I have no shame in throwing this guy to the bus. We're we're getting Jack Collinsworth to do this game. Oh, oh man. We're Jack Collinsworth, Jack Dan Fouts. Jack Collinsworth, Dan Fouts. Uh, maybe we'll get uh. And I'll say this: like, who's the sideline reporter? Holly Rowe. No, that, that's disrespectful to Holly. How dare you? We we love Holly. <laughs> Holly is one of the greatest sideline reporters of all time. Uh um, she was rude to me 2011 Bedlam. Uh, I'll never forgive her for that. <laughs> you you were probably rude to her. Um, yeah. we're going with you know what? They're not the worst crew, but they're probably the worst of like of the game of getting good games. We're going with Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett. It's got to be Jason Garrett. Yeah, I mean, he's – yeah. Jason I don't know. Garrett, I, I kind of like Dan Fouts there, but Jason Garrett, yeah. Jason he's calling Garrett, a game this weekend, but – Yeah, he's getting I'm a playoff ex- game this weekend. Like, like, they got to call the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, so we have our announcers. I'm trying to think what else. And we're gonna put it on the cock. It's got to be on Peacock. There, yeah, there you go. And then, who do we say for halftime? Uh, like the chain smokers. Oh, um, walk, walk the moon way. or walk the moon. Yeah. This keeps going. This keeps going on. This guy who's promoting it. Either way, he deserves to be whatever Hall of Fame he wants to be for the upcom- upcoming uh, for the irrelevant bowl. It's simple, hilarious, and brilliant idea. No polls, no rankings, no controversy, just two winless or near winless teams looking for redemption and one elusive win. You do an ad read for that, no polls, no rankings, no controversy, just two winless teams looking for redemption and one elusive win. It's the Irrelevant Bowl. Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen. This is the not the granddaddy of them all. It just means uh, yeah, who yeah, who would sponsor it? It would have to be the Roman halftime show. Let's see if they have enough stamina for the second half. Oh, we, we blue we gotta, chew. We gotta get quick trip involved. No, we can't no. That would be like quick trip should be doing more. The irrelevant bowl, that would have to be like seven eleven, come and go, circle K. Okay. We need them to like give out like the trophy's gotta be the taquitos. Like we got to start handing out taquitos on the on the podium for the trophy. Is that the is that the next live mascot? Yeah, a taquito, yes. <laughs> it's just and they just eat him off the roller grill. Yes, they roll him off the the, the roller. 
God, put oh my god. <laughs> He's been on the fucking roller for like six hours. Right. They left, <laughs> him, on, they left him on too long and he's burnt now. He just yeah, looks just like a uh seven eleven gas station turd. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um this Engelbrecht guy said in a statement, knowing that the NCAA has become more flexible with the number of teams wins to qualify for a bowl, I will petition the NCAA asking them to grant a waiver in 2024 that so two teams would be eligible to play in the inaugural Irrelevant Bowl. I love this idea, although I kind of wish there was some kind of weekly ranking. That'd be fun. Engelbrecht hopes to get the first Irrelevant Bowl up and running for 2024. According to the Irrelevant Bowl website, Yes, they already have a website. Uh, then they go on to mention it would have been Vanderbilt and the Zips this season. So, um, friend of the show, Ryan McGee, VSPN, has been on the show you know numerous times. He used to have this column on ESPN.com called the Bottom Ten, where every week he would rank the bottom ten teams in college football, and he'd have fun with it. Like if if Texas got blown out by 59 all of a sudden that they were in the bottom 10 that week. Um, and like a power ranking. Yes. And he would have like the bad of the bad in the bottom 10, but like, it would be a joke of it too. There would be uh, some teams in there that the first time I had him on my show was after Kansas got put in the bottom 10. And we, we had some good laughs about that. I, I think Ryan McGee, Marty and McGee would have to be involved in, in this in some way. Oh, absolutely. I mean... This would be right up Marty Smith's alley, too. Yeah, that would be something, man. I and I, I wish... You know what they could do? And if... if I know that, you know, call the universities, colleges, and, and players are getting more of a say. Almost kind of like a, a players' union uh, sort of thing going on. And, and they're getting NIL money and all this. But... I let's say just you know make it mandatory that the two worst teams play. That way, it's kind of like fantasy football. There's usually a punishment punishment for last place. You don't want to play in this bowl. Well, you better figure out a way to win. You better you better not be one of the final two. And then if you don't want to play, well, here's your chance. You can opt out of the bowl. You can opt out of the bowl. But if you do, you move down to FCS. You drop out of of you just you drop out of the you know D one essentially Re- relegation. Okay, I mean the they do it over across the pond. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, fun show today. Uh, appreciate you guys being here with us. Uh, as always, you can follow us on social media uh, on X at Tyler Jones Live at Thomas underscore Bridges at Studio underscore Soapbox Facebook dot com slash Tyler Jones Live. Instagram, uh, Tyler Jones Live, Instant Thomas, Jones, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. Subscribe to the show out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And uh, appreciate you guys being here, uh, as always. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week. Thomas Bridges, Coach Ball, our entire crew. I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks for joining us on the Jones Report. So long, everybody.